All right, welcome back. Third time's a charm, even though the second times were both charms. Uh, you enjoyed it, I enjoyed it. So here we are again, back for a third episode with 5D Awakening Consciousness. He is the maker of the Great Awakening Map. It is the quintessential red pill navigation chart for escaping the matrix and returning to source. He's still shipping these maps around. He's had a lot of trouble now in the past week or so. Uh, we're going to talk about that with his Patreon and maybe his website. I'm not sure. We're going to talk to him about it. But this map has been all over the web. I've seen it now in videos uh, that have nothing to do with uh, this movement at all. So it's been interesting that it's like in spiritual communities, it's, it's gone out there. But it's, it's shipping all over the world. It's been seen on 8chan in accompaniment with the QMAP. And it's been a big role for a lot of people, uh, especially close to me, like, in, in awakening and this great awakening stuff that's happening. So over, over a decade of metaphysical research was put into this map prior to its release in 2018. And it is a continual design produced and updated by Arthouse, the award-winning international artist and researcher, Champ Prina. Welcome back, my friend, how are you? Thank you so much for having me back on Float Universe. This is the third time and I still get messages and notes every week, sometimes every day, of people reposting our interviews from around the world. So let's uh, make it a really good one for them this time. Well, I, I, they're both, the, the prior ones are really great. So anybody that really wants to hear about the map, we may talk about the creation of the map and all that, but we really talked about that in prior episodes. You should really go back and listen to those. I think today's going to be more of an informal question answer what's going on in the news type situation not not so much of a, a formal interview as we had especially the first time so as i got to discover the world of champ and his art and all the stuff it took to make this map so a lot of people are already listening to this they already know the story they've been seeing what's been going on in social media the past few weeks i've faced my own version of it you what's going on with you i see now you've been what knocked off patreon now that was the most public statement that i showed but I have other secret accounts that I run, including a, uh, I guess we can call it 17, if you guys know what I'm talking about. So I had a 17 account, which got taken down as well. And that one I expected it to get taken down because after Q the wake up was taken down, I was for sure mine was gonna go down too, but it was a little bit after his, maybe another month uh, or two after his. So I was really surprised with that. But with my Patreon coming down, I wasn't too concerned because Jay Sather had his taken down. And with your account being taken down on Instagram, I just felt like we are all in the same club now. It's like one happy party. So everything that we do is for the awakening of humanity. And these are just small stepping stones that we have to go through until we get uh, victory. All of these things that we lose, uh, we're going to get back thousandfold from the universe so celebrate exactly so that you're in exactly it's like a rite of passage to be shadow banned deleted uh deplatformed i was you know deep state mapping project he has been completely deplatformed except for his own personal website you can still go there but he got knocked on patreon he got his instagram twitter all at his facebook so I know you guys are selling similar things the posters how has this affected your sales at all i i, I try to get everybody I can, but even my reach now, it's, it's a really bummer for me because I don't sell anything. I just, I like the, to push the content and I like to talk to people and get good conversations going. It's been very frustrating for me. It's almost better to be completely deleted and start over because at least that way you can start with a fresh algorithm. 
I got my, my main account stuck at like 76, 77,000 people right now. And uh, I'll put a content, I'll put, I'll put out content that'll usually get 3,000 likes and it's getting like 30. Whereas as I go to my other profile that has less than 3,000 people and I'm getting a disproportionate amount of likes per, per people because it's still fire content. It's just being finally seen. You're, I'm completely, I can't, if I was selling anything, nobody would see what I'm selling. But has this affected your income at all? My Instagram, my main account, Awakening Consciousness, uh, that was shadow banned over a year and a half ago when I posted the fake birth certificate of Obama. And ever since that day, my account has never been the same. My follower account has been really, really slow. But even saying all of that, my account did pass 100,000 views this year. And right now it's about 169,000 as of this podcast. So I've been using tactics of camouflage and trying to post things that aren't going to make the algorithms sound any alarms regarding the Q17 phenomenon. So you just have to play it smart. If you have a main account, you should have backup accounts that you use uh, with no name. I mean, anonymous, anonymous is, is literal <laughs> in the sense that we make accounts without putting our name to it so that when they get taken down, we don't really have an ego attached to it. I think that a lot of people become attached to their accounts and then it creates a lot of uh, hardship. So it's always good to have multiple uh, outlets in this digital battlefield that we are seriously playing in this game. But uh, we are winning. And for me as an artist, censorship is something that is, uh, is sort of like I don't know who said this quote, but in our school, I would, uh, I would tell people, if you create art and it doesn't get destroyed, then what's the point? So for myself as an artist, this is just, like you said, a rite of passage. And just like I believe uh, psychedelics are a rite of passages for every human being, a birthright, um, in this digital battlefield, in this game of dark versus light, uh, this is the game. This is how you play it. And it just happens to be played out through social media and meme makers and designers. It just never thought it would be this way, but I think it's a really beautiful, very poetic way to look at how art and politics and spirituality has all mixed. And it's bringing in all types of people, including yourself. And when I first found your, your meme account, Float Universe, I had sworn that you were some art student, performance artist who was like, I don't even know how to explain it. Like, have you ever seen the TV show, Tim and Eric's awesome show, great job. Yeah. <laughs> so I had this, this vision of you being this performance artist and it never occurred to me that you were actually making memes and then reposting other memes. It was really fascinating. And then to finally meet you, was even a, a greater honor. So it's, I wanted to take this first minute of the podcast to ask you questions. Uh, maybe the, the number one question I've always wanted to know is, uh, did you have any art school experience before you made Float Universe or any, any other uh, relations to the art world? Well, that's an interesting question. Thanks for asking. Um, 
well, I was a photographer for 10 years prior to doing uh, the meme stuff. And I got into the memes as a way to release all the stuff inside of me that I couldn't either because I was in a bad relationship where I couldn't get out and do a lot of things and I couldn't express myself a certain way. And when that's taken away, you find other ways to release that energy. And so that was the memes. But prior to photography, I had been, I had never taken any formal art training. I was in all the art classes in junior high school and high school. Um, I wanted to pursue art, maybe in college, but uh, you know, the logical brain took over and said, well, the logical brain didn't even take over. I just never found a place that I wanted to settle into. I lived in Japan for a while. Um, I taught English over there in the public school system for like a year and a half. I worked all kinds of odd jobs at night so I could have all the free time in the day to just explore life. I really, when I got out of high school, I really didn't know what I wanted to do at all. I didn't know for a long time. I still don't know what I'm doing. At, uh, but, you know, I've always wanted to express myself and I always wanted to be a painter because I got into photography and I wanted to do to film and cinema, but the, it's more people you add on and it's more aggravation. So I put together a photo shoot. I, I did a magazine editorial work. I did weddings for 10 years and you just keep adding people to the equation. It gets harder to perform. It, it costs money. It's time. It's energy. So I always liked painting. I wanted to be a painter, but I never had the time in my last relationship uh, between trying to make money as a photographer and trying to keep that relationship afloat to sit down and have the free time and the mental clarity to paint. I always wanted to paint because paint's a one-man operation. It's just you and the canvas and, you know, photography and film. It's, a you know, at least one other person usually. You can do photography alone, but the scale and the type I wanted to do always involved hairstylists and models and makeup and clothes and et cetera and so on securing a location sometimes and then again if you want to do cinema film it's a it's a, there's a whole different aspect to it so um yeah i've always wanted to express myself and so because i couldn't paint because i didn't have the time the money the energy the space to do it and i didn't have the willpower and the strength to, to try to create these photo shoots and I, like i said i created these great big photo shoots for almost for free just out of my need to create them with like my ex-girlfriend and uh, her friends, stuff like that. So memes came out of this desperation to express myself with very limited time, energy, or effort to do it. And you then have the realization uh, through connecting with people, doing acid, floating, the oneness of the universe that it's this reflective thing. And a lot of times I would get on my phone and I would see that the meme was exactly people I would follow was exactly reflecting my inner state. And I thought that was funny. So I just kept pursuing that uh, idea as an experiment in expressing my truth through memes to a point where it creates such a resonance of, uh, it's a unique resonance, but it's also a familiar one of truth. And hey, this is just some guy's experience. And because we're all the same, we're all one, we're all part of that collective energy. They, it resonates. Now, not everybody's going to resonate with this message, but the people that are listening to it right now, I think there's a karmic propensity that they've manifested in this life to hear this information. I don't know what they're going to do with it, uh, but uh, that's what I try to do at this point. Just try to either put people out there who I think are creating good ideas. That's why I'll repost a meme that I like. It makes me laugh. It's interesting. It's entertaining. Maybe you can learn from it. I definitely got something out of it. And so because it resonates with me, I put it on that page. And of course, there's the stuff that I create as well. Um, social commentary uh, a lot of times and about 
my personal experiences with things that people don't want to talk about. That's the other thing. It's like, okay, we can be truthful about a lot of normal things, but there's a lot of things that we don't want to talk about that we're all having a very truthful human experience with, with what we eat and if we masturbate or not. And these things, we, we, we can't talk about psychedelics in this country a lot of times, a lot of people, because they're worried about looking strange or crazy, or they might be afraid of losing their job or being drug tested. So I kind of, I realized following a lot of these accounts I admire these people you're right these people are literally performance artists a lot of them and they don't even realize that it's very performative and sometimes it's performative in a very unhealthy way like they're being a champion of their mental illness or their victimization and that's its own thing that they'll learn from and it can be very entertaining to a lot of people so people will resonate with that and you'll see people with very negative ideas having thousands if not millions of followers because they're just resonating on that frequency and they uh they want to follow that they want you know it just matches and they like a magnet attracts so for me it's like having that revelation and trying to help myself and other people like my idea from that point was okay i can i need to just sacrifice myself and become the meme and that's what i've kind of done with this account like all all my friends i talked about that i admired or i thought they were performance artists as meme artists unconscious or not I said, I'm going to consciously dissolve myself as much as I can into this character, let go, express myself and have fun with it. Because ultimately, I think a lot of the concepts I'm talking about as much as they may be illegal, i.e., you know, certain drugs are not legal or taboo, like I talked about, you know, saving your sexual energy. These things aren't talked about. And in fact, a lot of these things are either repressed or you're told to do the opposite because that, you know, in an inverted world, that's just the way it is. So. Ultimately, yeah, I'm an artist that wants to express myself and this became the vehicle in which to do it. And so that's, the, that's I guess, the long answer to your question. It was always fascinating to me when I first came across your memes because I had known that you had a psychedelic background. And for me, I created 5D Awakening Consciousness two years ago, two plus years ago, because I wanted to find others who had seen hyperspace I was obsessed with finding out other psychonauts and other psychedelic explorers who have seen the transcendental object at the end of time. And when I go through your memes, it's like I'm looking through a file cabinet of, of a being who has touched the most impossible object in the universe. And then you bring these, these memes through to the third dimensional realm that we live in. And I can see like remnants of the of the shard of like the the timeless object. I see it in your your memes, in the in the way you think, the way you post. The aesthetic of the meme is very particular. It's like a very uh, like memes have this very de-skilled kind of look. They're really messy and really um, pixelated. Yeah, shit post. At times. So so this aesthetic is like is like a a very nuanced style, stylization of information. And, and the more that the meme has these sort of artifacts, the more you can tell that they're a good memer, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah, so for sure. Definitely. That was always my fascination, combing through your account and realizing that you have seen the hyperspace as I have. And sometimes we see similar things and sometimes we share similar ideas and i think that this is like a very frontier kind of territory that we're in because there's probably going to be 
um, like history books written about these times and of artists and, and creators who were pushing human consciousness in a way that has nothing to do with anything that has ever been written about before in human history. So what we do every day, we have no idea of the future repercussions it's going to have for society, for art, for design, for politics, for spirituality, for the Great Awakening. And every day I encourage people to create, create, create. Because if you're not creating, you're just consuming and you're just wasting your spot in this world. So create and even if it's just one small thing that you create every day, even if it's just going to Starbucks and smiling at a stranger and creating that one ounce of energetic positivity, you are still creating. So keep that in mind and try not to consume, try to create and make the world a better place every moment of your life. Because you were talking about karmic propensity and the more things that you do karmically, positively, positively, that karma is going to increase exponentially for yourself. And then you're going to start having uh, a 5D type of life where miracles keep occurring to you, keep falling into your lap. And then with these miracles, you're going to be able to create abundance for your life and then for others, which exponentially compounds that karma and just makes your life sort of like a movie. You're, you're just sitting back and you're just watching it all unfold. So it really does. It really is. Everybody it, should get into that state of mind. It really is. And that's what I'm trying to encourage here is like, okay, I've tasted this honey. I've been to the top of the mountain. I'm not there permanently, you know, in the state of bliss all the time. I bounce in between, you know, 5D and 3D and my human existence and, the, you know, the, the promise of the great beyond and all this other stuff. But, uh, you know, you have this realization that, okay, is this my last life? Is this my next to last life? Is this maybe I got a thousand more to go and you just rest in that space of, okay, no matter what happens here, I'm, I'm stuck here in this moment, in this body, I've got to do the best I can with it. And you start to ask for truth and grace and it's presented to you. A lot of times people can't, uh, when they first get it, uh, act on the truth because they're so, uh, their ego or their karma has been turned around in such a direction that they have to kind of like that you're going 100 miles an hour in one direction, and you have to stop on a dime and then go back the other way. No, it's going to take some time. So a lot of times people will wake up and have a realization, but they're so deep in their patterns still that it's going to take a few more hits to the head before they actually decide to click that fan off and let the fan just come to rest. You know, they're going to spin a while uh, still, you know, in this body, but they're going to be awakened, and then all that karma is going to just slowly melt away. And as you taste more and more of the promised land, you'll just it's a natural thing to start rejecting things in this world that are not going to keep leading into that realization deeper. So at a certain point, it just takes over. And in the beginning, I would say for people who are just waking up, it can be very painful for your ego to realize that you've been asleep for so, so long, you want to blame yourself or you want to blame the world or whatever. But at a certain point, and this is why I encourage floating. This is why I encourage obviously your methods with meditation and your practice uh, psychedelics are another way. Psychedelics are a way to take the elevator up instantaneously to the top to a degree because it kind of it's kind of a reflection too at the same time. And if you're in a dark spot, you might experience, or ex experience the hell of the oneness instead of the bliss of it. But if you can clear your mind chatter, become still enough, I don't care how you do it. And that's why I think floating is an optimal method. 
is um, you drop into the bliss zone, the truth, the bliss consciousness, the substratum of reality is actually that. And it's a very objective truth. Everybody has their subjective truths in their ego, ego in their individual life that they're living. But there's a, there is an objective truth of oneness and bliss and, and consciousness that you can drop into when the spinning motion of your karma and your mind and your ego reaches a point where you can slip into that gap and it may be a split second, but if you can just experience that truth, even for a split second, even though it's ineffable or even with DMT, forget about that. Forget about the bliss of just meditation and floating and dropping into that. Even if you experience something outside of your mind that you think is possible with DMT, it's going to encourage you. It's going to encourage most people to want to pursue that. Oh, you know, I've been asleep for so long here. It started with me with YouTube videos of meditation and um, hypnosis. I'm like, well, let's just try this. And it actually worked. I was like coming out of my body off of a YouTube hypnosis video. So I'm like, oh shit. I'm like, I've been completely wrong here my whole life. There's not, there's more than this one um, semi-conscious life I'm living and people are existing on all different kinds of frequencies of, yeah, 5D, 6D, um, below that in fear and, and, and suffering, below courage at 200 there. But uh, no, for me, it's about knowing this is a truth now and then trying my best, which you've experienced through the memes, this ineffable quality of that oneness and that experience and try to get that into the memes. And my goal at, the, at, at that point, which I, once I had mastered this, uh, well, not mastered, but once I got enough of an understanding of what I was doing and how it worked was to take these larger accounts, accounts with 100,000 followers, a million followers, people I was friends with, or I wanted to influence, or people themselves were just waking up. And my goal was to microdose reality with memes. So you're looking at your phone all day long and you may follow a hundred people, celebrities, your friends, you may follow my weird account or your account. And we, when, you, when you're sliding through Instagram, you're, you're getting micro doses of people's ideas and things they wanna put out there in the world. Some of them are great ideas, some of them are horrible ideas. A lot of them is just a bunch of unconscious soup. But my goal is every once in a while you're sliding through Instagram and bam, there's something there that is just going to, by virtue of the energy I put into it by being in that state, because sometimes people can just feel the energy of, like as an artist, I truly believe this, that when you create a work, your intentions and your energy, it's all in there as well. And so sometimes when I just have to come out of the tank or I've taken LSD or something and did a DMT trip, it's a very profound revelation. And I put that into a meme and it may just come off as dumb comedy, but it's in there and there's layers to it and there's illuminated layers. And so that's what I'm trying to do is, you know, you're, you're waking up in the morning, you're sliding through your phone, you're on the toilet and boom, there's something about what's 5d or what is, um, what are stasis chambers that they're having these giants in? What is the secret space program? <laughs> what is float tank? What is DMT? Like, uh, I, I take it for granted that I know about all, a lot of these things, that I know what DMT is. But obviously, sitting here running a float center, I get calls from people all the time that have never even heard of floating. So something that has been, you know, standard of living for five, six years now is a completely new experience to someone else. And so I'm always trying to have that space of, it's unique and new and I want to hold that space for you here. But yeah, my goal has been to microdose reality and get this, get these experiences and content into people who have a million followers. So I can't with my account, which is now shadow banned at 70 something thousand 
it's basically pointless at this point. Um, I have the other account, which gets much more uh, engagement, but way less follower followers. As long as the message gets out, that's all that's important because I realized that one account, like some, some of the people that follow the account with 3000 people, they have over a million followers. They're blue checks. They have influence. So if I can just affect that person with 10 million people, if they're, if I can just raise their vibration just slightly or introduce them to an idea, like my friend, John, who does the cabbage cat memes account and the doggos doing things overall at this point, he's affecting close to five, 6 million people, maybe more. Um, and to know that I put him in a float tank and given him mushrooms and held space and love for him. And I'm not, I never want anything financially. I never want notoriety out of this. In fact, I don't want any notoriety. I don't want you to come here. I don't want you to find me. I want to stay hidden. I don't want any more stalkers. I have stalkers. I don't want it. Um, so my goal is to affect people who want that fame and want to be out there, want to have millions of followers that they can talk about floating. They can talk about psychedelics. They've, I've given them the experience or uh, the content and I've just slightly turned the knobs of reality. Like Steve Jobs would say, put a dent in the universe. Ah, the great bliss of the nectar of enlightenment. That's it, man. The objective. Once you taste that, once you taste that, it's, uh, you, you really want to do whatever it takes to get there, whether it's breathing, not jerking off, running, eating certain things, floating, doing psychedelics. I went down the list to figure out what, what it, what it took, what it takes to get there, what that space is, you know, and then how is it repeatable? The best, most repeatable way obviously is going to be a meditation practice. Not everybody's got access to a float tank. You're not going to do psychedelics every day. And if you do, I don't know how you're, you know, experiencing reality at a certain point because it starts to just melt away into just insanity. I took acid for a uh, microdose for like six months. And at a certain point it was like, where does insanity and this dream end and where does the reality begin? So I don't know, but I just say, once you taste it, you're going to do whatever you can to get more of it. Definitely for myself, uh, my non-dual mind practice called Dzogchen is what I've been dedicating my entire life to now. So for the past two years, I've been living as a yogi. And what I do every day is practice Dzogchen mind awareness practice. Um, it's called Rigpa. And Rigpa is a Tibetan word for awareness. So this awareness practice is the non-dual moment of that, that nectar of bliss. And every time that I go into a moment of awareness, even if it's just one second, and that one second is one second of enlightenment, but it doesn't stay very long because the mind is so distracted. So if you can practice awareness meditation many times throughout the day, like one second, one second, one second. If you practice in this way, small sessions repeated many times, this is much more helpful than say sitting for two hours because nobody really has that type of time in the Western world. So practicing throughout the day is much more powerful because you're entering the non-dual mind throughout the day at small increments one second, five seconds, maybe one minute if you have time. So this is the best way to develop that objective bliss, the nectar of enlightenment. It's going to be with you 
throughout the day. And you're always going to want to go back into that one second of awareness. It's like a game. You get addicted to it and you start to realize that life can just be this way all the time. It doesn't have to be moments of meditation and then moments of reality. Meditation and reality should blend into one taste. And once you get into this one taste of reality, then you have the true objective bliss, the true enlightenment at all times. The Buddha mind is always with us, but we forget. And all we have to do to enter that state is either to go into a float tank and per perform this awareness practice or just perform this awareness practice throughout the day, many times, short little sessions. And those short little sessions will eventually add up to longer moments of awareness where you'll just be sitting down and all these thoughts are going to come up, but they're just going to instantly dissolve on their own in a few seconds. But had you not done this practice and you were just a normal, ordinary being, these thoughts would come up, they would bother you, they would create stress, you would create anger and disappointment and regret. And you would probably feel this way for months and years and lifetimes if you didn't know how to just take one second of awareness and just sit with no thoughts and realize that this is what enlightenment actually is. It's just a second of awareness where you're not thinking about anything. It's that simple, but so hard to practice. And that is why it is the most advanced teaching of the enlightened Buddhas, not just the enlightened Buddha, but of all the enlightened Buddhas from primordial time until now, until the future. Totally. Now, one of the things I've always thought was interesting, I think this is David Hawkins who says this, but the time of day when you have the most likeliest chance, the best chance of slipping into that space naturally without any practice is between right when you wake up, right between sleep and then awareness. There's a space and time there and it's a split second. And you can stretch, just like you said, you can get in that space, you can stretch it out at when you practice. And I try to do that in the morning. Now, see, the, the thing is, it's like this. The mind is like a lake in the morning, a very still lake when you wake up. It's extremely serene. I mean, unless you've had a nightmare and you wake up. And what, what people usually do now, the first thing they do when they wake up is they open their phone up and it's like taking a brick and throwing that brick into the lake that has been still. And now you've got all these ripples and that's your mind now. And you continue, as you continue to scroll, uh, throw bricks into your pristine still pond of your mind and uh so yeah one second that's all that's all you need because that one second in that space can feel like an eternity and definitely you've got to you've got to i mean it i don't even think you have to find it i think at a certain point in time it is your birthright to either stumble upon this or you're karmically born into a life where you're very aware and it's second nature to you but i think even the most sleepy person is going to wake up at a certain point. And I look at awakening like you're in the bed and like the master is above you, God, who, whatever, is like yelling at you to wake up. And some people get right up, get out of bed and get going. I am still awake. I'm in bed. I'm in bed, but I'm laying here. I'm listening to the call. I'm definitely not going to go back to sleep as much as I'd like to. Uh, but I'm not in, in a rush to jump out of bed and get my clothes on and get the day going. I'm not. 
So as much as I realize these things, I feel like there was a point in time where I wanted to, when I, I wanted to be like, I don't want to have any desire. I don't want to have any thoughts. I don't want to have any ego. And so I did endless acid, endless floating, endless mushrooms, mixing them all together, just trying to get to the core, get to the bottom, figure everything out, illuminate it all, just set everything up on my own. And that was just my ego wanting it a certain way that, you know, there was lessons to be learned in that, but there's no like waking up and then just like washing it all off. I think it happens at its own rate as much as like, it's like a Ram Dass thing and be here now or the, you know, the snake, you know, just the skin comes off when it comes off, right? You cannot rip the skin off the, the snake. The snake must molt and it must come off at its proper time. So as much as people, and I was, I was super excited in the beginning. Oh, what is this? This is amazing. Now my ego, my spiritual ego must have more of this. I must be the best of meditation or floating or psychedelics or enlightenment. And that is where for a long time I got stuck there. Now I've let that go. And like I said, I've made peace with this maybe my last life or I may have a million more to go. I know the tools now. I know what I, know what I must do, but I feel like my ego, my karma has also things I must do in this human life do you feel like this is your last life do you feel like you have more to do here do you i have a friend who's like don't take on any more things work on your enlightenment work on you know letting go of things instead of creating more projects and so sometimes i'm like should i create this meme or this idea or this podcast why am i doing this do you feel like you have a lot more here to do or do you feel like i'm going to do this poster and then i'm going to zoom on out of here in my merkaba <laughs> Definitely Merkaba. But before the Merkaba, the reason I became a yogi, a Dzogchen yogi, is because if you want this life to be the last human life of suffering, then you have to begin now. And that really, really changed my life when I started to realize the most important thing about Dharma is the teaching of impermanence. Everything is going to pass. And if you don't take the time now to start to try to awaken, try to be aware at all times, then this life is going to pass so fast. And then you're going to be reborn so fast into another life, maybe not even another precious human being body. You may be a lower being in another realm if you die with fear and regret, etc. So, the reason why I believe that this life can be the last is because when you take the first step and learn meditation, and then you take the first step to try to become aware every moment of your life. I was watching a Dzogchen Lama on YouTube. Her name is Lama Lina. And last night she said this really bizarre and fascinating quote. And she was talking about the Dzogchen practice throughout the day, how many times you should meditate, how many moments of awareness you should take. And she said, somebody who's a Dzogchen yogi should have at least 80,000 moments during the day where they're aware for one-tenth of a second. Now you have to think about what that really means. So I was telling you, small, short sessions of awareness are much more easier to practice than sitting down for two, three, four hours straight. So 80,000 times throughout the day, I don't even know how many seconds there are in one day, but if you are creating this sort of like film frame 
of awareness, then it's all going to start to blur into practice sessions and then non-practice sessions. So your awareness is going to be on and off, on and off. But eventually, your mind is just going to assume it's all one. And that is the moment where you start to understand enlightenment. You start to understand what is really meant by non-dual enlightenment. And I think that that's just something really interesting you guys can ponder about. How many seconds can you actually take throughout your day of being aware and not just bumbling on through life with your thoughts controlling every emotion that you feel, whether it be good or bad or neutral. Now, how would you tell somebody that they've reached that point? And now, what, to, your advice to somebody who's never done any of this, who wants to be present for a millisecond or a second of the day, how would you tell them that they've reached that spot and it's like, okay, you got there, now repeat that. What, what's, what's the feeling, what's the zone like for you? If you went to a Lama or a monk and you told them, all right, I've reached the state where I'm really aware at all times. What should I do next? They will always tell you, <laughs> keep practicing. Because the minute you think that you've reached a certain level, that's just your ego. You are totally far, far, far from, from being accomplished. So you have to think about it that way as well. Because this practice is about lowering your expectations of what you think enlightenment is. Because you are already enlightened, but your ego mind keeps telling you that you're not. You have to, you keep getting confused by your ego that you have to do all of these things to become enlightened or else you're not going to be enlightened. And you, you scour the world and you, you travel to every country and you practice every spiritual teaching and you do every psychedelic because your ego is telling you that it's not enough. It's not enough. I don't have enlightenment. I don't, I haven't reached enlightenment because we have this concept of what it is. But the truth is that we were all born enlightened and then we forgot. Enlightenment is so simple that we will never ever believe that it's actually here now. And that is the whole point of learning the Dharma is to return back to the truth of how simple and how blessed we already are. We were all born Buddhas, but we forget. So part of the practice of becoming enlightened is dropping your, all your ex expectations of what it is and just following the teachings of those who have actually attained true enlightenment. And I don't remember what you asked me earlier, but uh, maybe you can ask me again. No, no, I think you... Uh... You answered it. Just the, the question was, you know, to somebody who's never experienced oneness or the divine nectar or the stillness of that peace of bliss, how would you, and I think you described that basically that, uh, you know, it, it's not something that you're going to even be able to grasp. It's just, I think you're just continually sliding into the water till you reach an immersion point of completely being underneath. And I'm nowhere near that. I've dipped my toes in the water. I know how to put my feet in. Um, part of me wants to still stay here and I guess, you know, do the work I'm doing. And then there's a part of me that's like, you know, I know that from the, the place of oneness I've experienced that none of this matters. It's all play. I mean, it does matter in a way because it's helping me realize more truth, which is why I encourage people, okay, like the universe knows what it's doing. It's an infinite game that you think your finite mind can game. You can't game this system. And so 
no matter how, I mean, what I'll try to do sometimes is knowing that there are certain rules the universe is using against me, like the law of attraction. Sometimes I will purposely, and it's very hard to do because you have to consciously energetically shift that space, but you can go from a space of, of lack or, or non-lack and you can project that and you'll get the inverse of that a lot of times or what you're actually um, energy. If you know how to ask for it energetically, you can, you know how to also, I think, manipulate it. And so the, the trick I play with the universe is trying to manipulate some of these laws to see what will happen with this infinite universe that knows how to obviously get around anything my finite mind can produce. So for me, it becomes this game of I've experienced the oneness. I'm not living in that space 100%, but I'm acting from the knowledge of being there. And so for me, when Jesus talks about judge them by the fruits, that, that, that's how I'm looking at somebody. It, are they acting from that space of uh, they've at least glimpsed that we're all one and they can act from that space? Or are they completely acting in division and, you know, duality, which is fine. Like, then it's like, okay, I'm in forgiveness mode for those people because they are not acting out of the space of the one. Whereas I usually am. And if I'm not, it means I've been triggered to the point of duality where I'm getting a lesson from the universe via this unconscious person because that unconscious person is a mirror of my unconsciousness. So it's this game. I'm always looking at the universe and saying, what's going to trigger me today? What's going to bring me into greater awareness of the one? And how will it be presented to me via a opportunity or a person or a situation and I'm always sitting in an aware space of knowing the universe is bringing me into higher awareness, if that makes any sense. So that's my day to day is I've tasted it. I want to live in it more. But then I, you see certain people that are so blissed out, like Robert Adams. I don't know if you know who that is, but there's certain spiritual teachers that were just so blissed out that it didn't matter if they sat in their house, sat in a cave. They were almost worthless in society in a, in a practical sense of, you know, like having money or doing things that the ego would like to do, which is build empires, build businesses. Um, you know, they just they just want to bliss out and sit in that space of oneness. So I think that there's people that have obviously never experienced that and they're living a completely ego life in pain, suffering, uh, unaware of the situation that is actually happening of the oneness. They're all, they're, they are also obviously enlightened, but just unaware of that. And then there's people who are kind of like being pulled through it they've awakened and they're getting their ego just decimated. Some of them are willingly doing it with psychedelics. And some of it is just like the black, uh, the dark night of the soul is, is just relentless and it's going to dismantle your ego every way it knows how. And then there's people that's come to the other side. I think you've come to the other side. Either you were born in this life enlightened, or you've had your own dark night of the soul experience and you've awakened to it. And now you are in control of it as much as you can be. And obviously guiding that with your meditation practice and all the work you're doing, spreading the light. And I think I've also come through that hole, right? You, you go from caterpillar, cocoon to butterfly. I think I'm coming out of the cocoon. I think you're already there ahead of me. Not that we're judging, but you know what I mean? So have you had a dark night of the soul? Have you come into this lifetime, you know, ready to just rock and roll the enlightenment or are you still in the cocoon? What do you think? Yes, absolutely. Dark night of the soul. And this was my period of maybe 2000. 2008, 2010-ish, around that time, you know, I was like broke, $14 in my bank account, eating Del Taco egg and cheese burritos, you know, and, and sometimes I would like cut it in half. So I would have one for the morning and one for a night. And then like, I would have like an overdraft in my bank account and I would just be like, that's like the worst. Plus I had like all of these crazy skin acne problems at that time and I was trying to figure out 
how to heal myself without medical system, medical industrial complex. And that's sort of how I began awakening through the medical field. I started to push away anything that was medical industrial complex. I started to find everything organic, holistic healing, meditation. So this dark night of the soul led to my seizing the treasure, which is the truth of consciousness, the truth of lives after lives, the truth of hyperdimensional realms. So you can only get to this point if you go through the dark night of the soul. The crazier your dark night of the soul, the more enlightened and more quickly toward enlightenment you will go. And you look back at all those times and you think, wow, if I didn't have those moments, I would never be who I am today. So that's why I literally just sit back and enjoy the show because after I came back from my most successful DMT journey, I came back, I woke up and I was like, that's it. I'm not going to pray and ask for anything anymore. I'm just going to thank the universe every moment. And I'm just going to let the universe take me where it may because I am totally not in control whatsoever because what I was just shown in that DMT trip just put me down on the ground. Like my ego was just like destroyed. And I was like, okay, I surrender. I will do whatever you want universe. I'm here and I'm going to try to awaken as many people as possible to the truth of DMT, the truth of higher dimensional realms, whatever it may be. Fast forward, you know, five, 10 years, I finally discovered the Dharma. It's just been there the whole time. I just didn't realize it was disguised as Buddhism. And becoming a Dzogchen yogi, finding the teachings of the dual, non-dual mind. This was the, the nectar. This was the seizing the treasure coming out of the dark night of the soul. And everybody in their life will come across dark nights of the soul every day, every month, and then in their lifetime. So always see these opportunities as just part of the movie. Like when you watch a movie, you don't fast forward or rewind it. You just, you just watch it. So this is the moment of your life to just realize that it's all going to go back up. Every wave that goes down is just going to rise back up. All you have to do is just trust the universe, send gratitude that you're still alive, and send gratitude that miracles are coming to you. Because like I say in every podcast I've done with you, gratitude attracts miracles. And gratitude is the, the compass of your higher self. It is the... It is the magnet leading you toward what you were born here to do, but not just to do anything, but the highest, the highest path that you could choose. There's like infinite numbers of, of paths you can take. Some of them are like really low vibrational paths. Some of them are like the highest, right? If you want to go to the highest, then you have to have fun every moment of your life. Dude, you're so right. I'm telling you, one of my theories was when I was doing all these things years ago was I was really kind of searching for, I knew that there you had different religions and different, you know, technical manuals, the teachings that they have with those religions. And I said, you know what, what if you just put on this earth and you're not put into a culture 
there's got to be some way to navigate reality that you know is is for everyone that is there and the universe can teach you but you don't need the bible you don't need the Tao Te Ching although those are great uh, ways of understanding some of these mechanisms I said I said there's got to be a way and long story short I realized that you can have it your way man you can have it any way you want your awakening and I realized I needed to dial into this reality where God the, the universe that was trying to teach me these lessons was forgiving and blissful and happy and funny. And so some people, when they wake up, I realize like, you know what, I can dial into the sadomasochistic awakening reality that I'm going to put myself through here. Or I can, hopefully my theory's right. And I can pray and, and ask to be put into this dimension where it is hilarity and fun. And yes, there's some bumps and scary things that my ego needs to go through. But overall, that, that was the big takeaway too, was I'm watching a movie, you know, like as much as I, as much as an unawakened person with a huge ego thinks that they're driving the ship, as I was dismantled through the dark night of the soul, I realized that, uh, you know, I needed to let go and let God in a way that everything had, at, at that point was not of my doing. I was always this awareness thinking I was doing everything when actually the universe was doing everything for me and I was taking all the credit for it. So part of my awakening was letting go, letting God, understanding that through this great awakening and through my dark night of the soul, I was given just enough to grow, but not enough to drown. Not so much that I would drown that, you know, it's like your mom or you, you know, we say here, God never give, God doesn't give you more than you can handle. That's what maybe my mom would tell me. A lot of people hear that and they're like, that's old. That's okay. That's, that's nice, but that doesn't help me anything at all because I have an ego and I think I can do it all myself. But the universe really does give you just enough to grow without killing you. And it's about, it's about accepting that and moving through that. And really like when I started to have these revelations, I would relax into the moment where there would be no exit in terms of like a technical, like I'd be at a wedding or something and I'd have no solution technically to my problem with the light, my camera, XYZ problem, but I would relax. Well, I'm getting goosebumps telling you this. I would relax, go into my practice at a wedding on the road, side of the road, no car I have, no, or having car trouble. I would just literally relax into the moment where I could do no more. I had called AAA. I had, you know, my camera wouldn't work. The lighting's not going to be right. The weather's terrible. And I would relax into the moment and my finite mind, which would think about X, Y, Z possibility, it would go blank. I would relax. And then a person, an idea, uh, a technical solution would enter my mind. A person would walk through the door or the weather would just start blowing the other way. I would dial into that reality of grace and bliss. And when, and when I, as the ego, re re relinquished the reins of me thinking I'm doing everything, and I started to have those revelations over and over again, it's like, wow. Um, ha, all I got to do is let go. And although I'm going to have to do some work here and it's going to be, maybe I may look like a jackass or I may have to go back on what I said because that was my ego saying it. That's the thing. A lot of people just don't want to just let go of their ego. They're so, so, so much pride, but it was those understandings of my ego and I got to let that go. I got to drop that. And then the grace can pour in the truth, the understanding. And it was always a lesson I needed to learn. And everybody's going through that at their own level of how they can handle it and how they want their energy of the universe to bring that back to them. So I'm telling people now, I implore you, look for the dimension of bliss and truth and love and grace and where God can give you the uplift into enlightenment, into awareness that it doesn't have to come like a sadomasochist. It doesn't have to come with a gun to your head. It doesn't have to come, you know, 
but if it does come those ways, understand that the universe needed you to have it that way for you to wake up to that. I think that's what's happening to all of us at our own level of understanding. So I don't even know. Ah, yes. Uh, the universe is a jester. It's the great joker. And the jester is the only character that can make fun of the king in the king's court. The jester can go into the king's chamber with the queen, make jokes about the king, whereas other people will get their heads cut off. So this archetype of the, the jester is the universe's way of giving you just enough without infringing on your free will. Because in the beginning of creation, everything was just one holographic particle or one thought. And this one thought exploded itself into infinite little cameras. And these cameras went throughout the entire universe, exploring as many things as it could. And you and I are just one of these little sparks and the universe always sends these tests to make us remember what we are here to do. And these tests are these dark nights of the soul. And the answers are always there. It's when, like you said, you just relax into the moment and you just surrender. Like AAA, you know, I've had AAA many times on my cell phone it's like i even remember the number before the 1-800 number and every time i look at that number in my phone i'm just like oh man it's one of those days you know and then you just surrender you just just give up okay i need to call for help i need to whatever my car this and that so surrendering in the psychedelic experience and surrendering during hard situations is the moment where you say, okay, I'm ready for the next, I'm ready for the next class. I'm I'm graduating. And then the universe will give you that escape. It will save you. It will give you that miracle. Something's going to happen. You're always going to be okay. You never die. Well, that's the thing. Yeah. It's the thing is this happens to me all the time. And I, the more I learn this lesson, the more I'm, the less I'm presented it because the universe wants to take these away from you, these ideas, these thoughts about how things are actually going and manifesting. And so my AAA is a perfect example. It's like, okay, I'm driving. This happened many times in my career of driving to these events, tire car goes down for whatever reason, pull to the side of the road. At that point you have to surrender. I mean, you can fight it in your mind with your energy and your heart. You can get upset. You can let your blood boil. You can let your mind start racing. Oh, I'm going to be late. These people are going to be pissed, blah, 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 X, Y, Z. Or, I mean, and this is the point of these things happening. You relax. You pull to the side of the road. You do what needs to be done. And guess what? If you have to pull to the side of the road and you don't have AAA, you've just learned right there that you need something like AAA. So there's the lesson there. There's the begin. There's the beginner's lesson is like, okay, be fucking prepared. But let's assume you're prepared like I was. I was prepared, ready to go for these events. I did my best, God. I really did my best, God. What do you want from me? Why do I, is it just fate that I get a flat tire? Or is there something, to, is there something actually still to be learned here? Ultimately, there still was a lesson. The lesson was relax, let go. I control time, meaning God controls time. It's an illusion anyway, but you, the guy comes. This guy is like a very Christ figure that fixes my car. He gives me this great advice. He not only gives me great advice, I'm getting goosebumps telling this, but he tells me to go an alternate route 
I get there when I need to get there, A, which was I didn't think I was going to do. So not only did I get a flat tire, get there on time by taking an alternate route, which was not going to be provided to my finite mind any other way. So I trusted this guy, got fixed, got back on the road. Not only that, but I got there and now the event I was supposed to be you know, on time to, which I would have been kind of late because, you know, I got to set up and stuff, but I'm getting there now and the event has been delayed. So I look at it like this. There maybe was a reality that I was dialed into where it was going to go at this certain time and I was going to be late and they were going to be mad, but in relaxing and in getting that grace and understanding and getting the lesson and taking it willingly by letting go and just dropping it, I was able to dial into a reality where the event, I got an alternate route, I got there on time and the event actually was put, pushed back a half hour. Now, this continues to happen to me. It doesn't happen so much anymore because I recognize the lesson. Either, I'm, either I wasn't prepared or there's just certain things in life you can't prepare for. Another good example of this is I am flying to California. I get on the plane and we start flying. And as we're flying in, it's like to change planes at Phoenix, they're like, oh, not only is are we coming in late, but your, 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 your plane is uh, now going to be leaving at a terminal way across the airport. So not only getting into the airport late now, but you're going to, you're going to have to run to get to your plane. And so a lot of us assumed, and I was really in this zone at the time of like oneness in God. So I was like laughing when I was hearing this because everybody around me in the plane was like, fuck, oh, I can't believe this. Oh, everybody's getting so upset. I was alone on this plane. I didn't really didn't even have any money or working cell phone. Like I was in full trust mode. So I'm like, wow, God, the universe is really putting me to the test here. I'm going to get to this place and supposedly I'm going to be late and I'm going to be up Shit's Creek because I don't have money or a phone. I was like really trusting God. And so we got to the Phoenix airport. We land on the, on the thing. And I just tell the lady next to me, I'm like, look, you're not going to believe me here, but everything's going to be all right. If you just relax, if you just relax, breathe, hold yourself for a minute. Don't think about it. Just trust and see in your mind that you're going to make it. And then five minutes later, after just relaxing it as deep as I could possibly for the, you know, cause that's the thing we're all one. So if, if I'm sitting there getting anxious and upset and I'm telling this woman the opposite, it's not going to matter. So I also have to dial into this space of like, Oh, okay. You know what? No matter what God's got my back, the universe either doesn't want me to go there or it's going to show me some magic trick here or something's going to happen. And so we ultimately were getting off the plane and then they're like, the plane that we were supposed to get on is like literally right next to the one we just got off of. And like I said, in the previous story, this plane was also running now delayed. So not only did we get there on time for the plane, we didn't have to run across the terminal and we got on the plane and it was one of those ones where they heard you like cattle. So you got to get in at a certain time and stand in your spot. So we got there. I mean, perfect timing. So this woman was like shocked. So you're able, I'm able to do this all the time. Another time I do this with people is I, again, Unless I'm really in a crunch, I have nothing to do and nowhere to go. So I'll go to the grocery store and there'll be a long line. I will purposely choose the longest line possible. I will step into my space of relaxation and oneness and I will, I will let people in front of me or I'll do whatever. Just deep relaxation and it's like a practice. And so a lot of times what will happen is the line next to me will open right up and they're like, come on over here, sir. It happened to me the other day. I was in a grocery store. There was five people in front of me. And then the woman next to me, boom. Hey, come over here. I got out before the person way ahead of me. So that's what I'm saying. Time isn't, doesn't exist. You can dial into these realities where it's a different set of circumstances where it's going to work for you, but you've got to get the lesson. And usually the lesson for most people is you've got to relax. You've got to breathe. You've got to stop creating, you know, because it's the law of attraction. You are 
thinking you're going to be late, you're going to be anxious, you're upset, the universe is going to give you more reasons to be late, anxious, and upset. Whereas if you relax, it seems to go the other way. You're going to get more reasons to be blissful, thankful, happy, and relaxed. So time isn't real. It's a perception of time, which is wonky. It can change. And so, yeah, that's like when you realize that all it takes is relaxing, that's why I'm, I'm still pushing the float tank big. Because, yeah, float psychedelics will show you some shit, but they won't relax you. In fact, a lot of times they do the opposite to your mind. They make your mind race. So they'll give you the divine revelation and your brain will light up for 12 hours on LSD, fully connected to the oneness of the universe. But then it's time to step out of that space. And that's not the true space because it's just, you know, you've taken the elevator up, you're there for five minutes, and then you're back down to reality. But uh, so that's my whole thing is floating, that space of oneness. And again, if you can learn that through meditation like you have, that's great. A lot of people don't have in the beginning what it takes to sit in front of a wall for 20 minutes or even not touch their phone for a minute. So that's, uh, I don't even know how we got going down that road. There's so many things I still want to talk about. I know we're like at an hour now, so I don't want to uh, just keep rambling. I wanted to talk about actually with you. Okay, so all these accounts have been taken down. Jordan Sather, he, his, his YouTube account just destroyed over and over again instagram twitter same thing's been happening to you um rites of passes passages we're getting excited now for um the election right it's like so close now you where, where are you at right now are you in the u.s or are you overseas i'm still living in thailand but i feel that this entire next four days i feel like it's the true singularity of like politics and spirituality mixing into one moment in time where the rest of the history of the universe is all determined on the outcome of this election and all the millions of children that will be saved and all the good ETs that will come and save us right after this. But right. I feel like I feel like there's so much writing on these last few days and there's just so much horrible news coming out about Biden's laptop and the, the children involved in the videos and the children in China that are involved and how the Chinese Communist Party is trying to use this opportunity to like bring change to the entire world through blackmail of US politicians. It is so fascinating to watch and I can't even touch this topic on my main account on Instagram anymore. So well, that, that was the thing. My other, my other avenues. So that's why, um, you know, camouflage. Well, that's the thing. Obvious with you and my account. I've, I learned. Okay, so if you're going to polarize towards the left or the right, you're going to be attracting a lot of that similar energy. Now, us, and I say me and you, and maybe a few other accounts, but mainly us, me too, me and you. Uh, we sit in this space of oneness where I feel like I'm, I'm protected, and I feel like you're even more protected than me. Because you, again, yeah, you, you, I'll skim the surface of some of these harder topics that might get me flagged, might get me fact-checked. And that is almost an automatic shadow ban. So you've been able to navigate really well. And you, 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 you definitely avoid certain topics. But the problem is even the awakening topics uh, get flagged. Like, you know, you can't even type the Great Awakening in a hashtag and, and look it up because it's blocked. But because it leads to so many other things which are connected to the Great Awakening, which are the, yeah, the Hunter Biden stuff. I don't even, I wasn't even going to get into that. One of the things I actually wanted to talk about with you, I was going to record a whole solo podcast about it, but 
I try to go with this podcast, just what's happening and, and what I can do. And as much as I want to make it a certain format or talk about certain things, sometimes just life happens. I can't talk for a certain couple of days and then that news is passed. But one of the things that has been really like driving me crazy the past few weeks, I don't know if you saw this, but there was a, um, the, the, the stasis chambers of these giants and there was a freedom of information request into Hillary's emails. And if you, and it's still there, it's on page 470 of this request. And it's got this guy who is requesting documents pertaining to the resurrection chamber of Gilgamesh, the location of his body and the location of the buried Nephilim. Right? So I started to go into that and, you know, Gilgamesh is ultimately Nimrod and they, the deep state supposedly has gone into these countries uh, under the guise of war and oil and all these other things to uh, get these technologies, to get these giants. Is, are, this, are the stasis beings, uh, are the stasis giants on your map? On my map, it says red-haired stasis giants awoken. And this was just a little rabbit hole for those who are brave enough to go into this entire topic about the ancient Sumerians or the ancient Anunnaki and the Iraq war, Stargates, you know, uh, that, that whole rabbit hole. And what I've, what I know from it is through the testimony from Corey Good and maybe Benjamin Fulford, but mostly Corey Good stories about the deep state going into these, uh, Middle Eastern countries under the guise of war, uh, using the rogue military to excavate certain stone, quote unquote, artifacts, but they're actually stone technology that is telepathically activated. So you'll, you'll see like a stone slab and they will have no idea what it does. But actually, if you have the telepathic propensity to activate it, then you'll see like holographic images appear or whatever, you know, I'm just speculating. But um, This is partly why you have the deep state military going into these wars to find these tombs with these giants who are in stasis. They're encapsulated within these coffin-like boxes. They're maybe, maybe six, seven, eight, nine feet tall, 10 feet tall giants. I don't know, maybe even 14 feet tall giants. And what's really, really interesting about this entire topic we're talking about right now is that these stasis giants have been in stasis for tens of thousands of years, maybe even hundreds of thousands of years. But they chose this very time in history to awaken. 2019, 2020, I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah, 2020. Like why in the world would you choose this time to awaken? The answer is because the great solar flash is almost here and they want to be alive to ascend when the flash occurs. The solar, the great solar flash that we've been talking about for this entire, yeah, every podcast. That, right? That's what I found so interesting was, okay, I get that Corey Good's been out there for years saying this stuff. I was into this stuff years ago. I thought it was so cool that he was talking about on, an, on a basically like an iPad-like device, maybe 10, 15, 20 years ago, he's sitting there w working in these uh, USAPs, seeing these things, and it's out there on record years ago, him talking about it. And then you finally see stuff like this in the Freedom of Information request, which is like, wow. This, what it did for me was it just backed up the things that Corey Good talks about. Because 
Corey Good it seems in that community, in my research, he's about 75% of the people think he's, he, he's, he's truthful. And there's a good, maybe solid 25% who obviously think he's full of shit. Um, I, I keep looking for reasons to want to believe him. And this one was a big one for me because it put a lot of things together. For example, they, they, they discovered the tomb of Gilgamesh, right? And right around the time, right after, like literally like a month after, they, then they go in there for war and the U.S. takes it over and puts up a military base right over it. So they're like excavating this stuff out and pulling it out. And I'm, I'm, I'm reading that at a, at a certain point, Hillary was part of the Majestic 12 and she had a lot of access to these things. And they wanted these, that not only the stasis, technology but the giants themselves and you're absolutely right uh one of the one of the one of the things talks about that in the stasis chamber thirty thousand years can seem like 20 minutes so it's i just thought it was also cool as a corollary that it's like wow this is kind of like a weird float tank you know five minutes can seem like five hours and you can go into like another reality when you wake up but it's just so fascinating that you look and you do research and there's not just articles about these but there's videos and there was one it had russian language on top of it but it was definitely from and it was an iranian video from iran and it was like this magician and they had broken the seal of the stasis chamber so he was dead but he was still in there laying and yeah you're like 10 15 feet tall these giants so i just thought it was super fascinating because it is something that has just come out and I'm looking for things as we continue into the Great Awakening. Like, okay, here's another one for you. December 21st, 2020, right? Now, they say, okay, they were wrong. They misread it maybe in 2012. That, that wasn't the actual end of the calendar. A lot of people now in the spiritual and psychedelic communities are looking at December 21st, 2020 as the beginning of this Great Awakening solar flash. What do you think about that? I would love that to be true, but... For me, I've come to learn that throughout this entire awakening, spiritual awakening, you really cannot depend on dates because the universe is going to do its thing when it feels the energy to do it. When the energy is right, when the consciousness is right, uh, the events will happen. So we have to focus on energy instead of dates and just keep the date in mind for fun. You know, maybe that night you should meditate or eat five grams of shrooms like I did on the night of December 21st, 2012, which is why I saw the singularity of time wave zero that Terrence McKenna talked about. Because for me, if I wasn't going to see any type of crazy apocalyptic event happening in, in reality, I was going to make it happen. So that's why I ate five grams of shroom on that day. And I did see singularity. I did feel how everything collapsed into one and my entire reality came out different after that day. But that's for me. I don't know if I'm pulling you into my timeline or whatever happened, but I may even do the same thing this year, but probably we'll just meditate and, uh, you know, get an Airbnb somewhere that is just like private. Nobody knows where I am and sit out that night because what else would you want to do? Honestly, yeah. uh, for me, I would rather be in non-dual silence because then you're protected karmically from anything and you are basically inviting the universe to send only blessings so that's my opinion if you want to latch onto a date then make sure that date is the best day of your life make sure that you are prepared psychically spiritually because if some super great solar flash happens you want to be in the 
best state of your life at that moment. You don't want to have anything to worry about. So if you want to be uh, somebody who looks to dates, then make sure that date is the best day of your life and don't have any distractions. Couldn't agree more. Are you still following Q? I follow it as much as the people post who I follow. So I, I get my information from other Anons who post really good and really humorous yeah. things. And I follow um, this guy on YouTube called The Breadcrumbs Project. And he has a really small channel, but he was analyzing my Great Awakening map for a lot of his episodes. So I sort of became, uh, uh, what do you call that, a subscriber. And I've been watching him um, because I like to listen to the really small accounts because these people are true patriots. They have no agenda. They are really here to save the world. So I encourage everybody to do their research, follow the Anon accounts that you really love, the ones that make you feel happy, the ones that make you feel like the world is going to be a better place. And your mind will bring you into that reality. Oh, yeah, totally. We'll definitely bring you into that reality. Yeah, a lot of the Q accounts, like Q the Wake Up I saw today, he has given up on Instagram or she, I don't know who runs that, but they have tried now. I think this is their third or fourth time to make a new account and they can't even do it. I don't know if they're, you know, logging their IP address or what, but that's probably what's happening. But yeah, I, I agree. The smaller accounts, especially at this point, I mean, everything's a small account at this point because they either if you are like me, if you have a lot of followers, they've minimized you with the shadow ban or they've completely wiped you off the face of the earth with a platform. Uh, you know, they deplatformed you like Deep State Mapping Project completely wiped him off. And, and there's people like you who, like me, kind of just navigate through it with, uh, I mean, the, the truth and oneness you present to people with these concepts is, I think, crucial for where you don't fall into those same traps. Um, just stay low until election day after that, then turn it up. Well, I, I can't even turn it up, but hopefully they'll let us come back after, <laughs> after election day, they'll let us come back. But, um, uh, another thing I feel like I've done just, I've done enough at this point where uh, there's other accounts out there. I've, t I've brought, I've helped wake up enough people and I, I, I am kind of taking a break because a lot of this content is falling on deaf ears and closed eyes because of the shadow ban. I've just been now as we're a week away, my theory is either going to completely come true here or it's going to fall into the shitter. And my theory is, you know, that if you look at the Q clock, if you look at Q's original post, which we just yesterday was like the anniversary, it's three year anniversary of the first post. And the first post talks about November 3rd, November 4th. Now this was three years ago, Q was posting this. People every year thought, okay, what's happening November 3rd this year? Well, obviously November 3rd this year is the election. A lot of things are gonna be happening according to Q, according to this post. You got Hillary, you've got Podesta being arrested, them on the run, and uh, Q talks about the coronavirus cycle and the news is going to end after the fourth. So my theory is that Q put out the, the basically, not the last post, first but the giant the, the 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 big boom the 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 great awakening the the, the first arrest that it causes for a mass pop awakening i think is his terms but i think we've just we're just about to see that november 3rd post come true or again like i said i'm totally cool with being wrong my theory will then be dead in the water if we don't start to see any arrests 
after the election. And Q also talks about lots of rioting. Be prepared for the rioting. That's a Q post. I still believe that they are using Project Looking Glass. Both sides, they've reached this end game. It's game over for the, the dark side, for the corrupted left, the deep state, the Chinese, and everybody else in between. The truth is coming to light, the laptop from hell. I truly think uh, when you look at some of the Godfather posts, Q talks about the Godfather, Godfather 3. An interesting thing with the Godfather is coming out in December, you're going to have a, like uh, Francis Ford Coppola is actually putting out the Godfather 3 with a new ending. Like how crazy is that, right? But not only that, but they talk about that maybe, you know, but Biden himself is the godfather in terms of these posts where everybody's getting a kickback and they kick the money up to uh, Joe Biden. And so I think Hunter Biden has been this abused boy who has done all these things. He doesn't care anymore. He's, you know, blackmailed and compromised. And he's going, he, he, he says, fuck it. I'm going to take the whole thing down with me. He, he, he gives those laptops. He never comes and collects them. They're full of everything, all the incriminating evidence. It's all coming out. It's, I want to talk about it so much on my, on my actual accounts. But for one thing, people, hey, if they want, they, they, they come to my account for psychedelics and fun, and they don't come for politics. I try not to do it. It is part of the awakening. It will help you wake up. Like a, a big trend on Twitter lately has been, can I change my vote? Uh, you know, because people are seeing these drips come out from the Patriots and they're like, wow, um, I'd had no idea. Like, pe Incredible. People, people are really waking up at an accelerated rate. And we haven't even, you know, this is like just the, just the, the, the previews. The movie hasn't even really started. And so my hope is the Q clock, when you look at it, we're reaching that November 3rd point. This is where the, sh the movie, the show actually starts. Although it has been going on for those that, have been questioning Q's legitimacy. I think now in the next week, you're really going to start to see how crazy this, this whole plan was with the time travel and the looking glass and the, and the convergent timelines and the great awakening as a, as a mass event, nothing can stop what's coming. And that's why I know in the post Q world or the post Corona world that we'll get our accounts back that people will be craving these ideas and concepts even more as they're awakened. Like, how can I awaken more? The, the poster, the floating, the, the meditations, the, the different ways you can eat and breathe. You know, this is the ways we've been lied to. Look at Kanye on, uh, did you listen to the Kanye interview on Joe Rogan? I listened to it today and I wanted to ask you all about it. How, oh, please. Well, yeah, well, ask me anything you want about that. Um, I was going to ask you a, a specific question about it. I totally forgot, but well, go you, ahead you, you keep thinking. Yeah, you keep thinking. So I'll continue. So like, for example, um, I'm like, damn, I got three Joe Rogan podcasts in a row that were like, you know, James Maynard and Keenan or Maynard. I forget his name, the tool guy. I love tool. And then you had Kanye, which is like the ultimate guest for me because he's like my ultimate spirit animal. And then the next day after that, Alex Jones. But I want to concentrate on the Kanye one because he's never been on that show before. And I think he was able to be the most Kanye Kanye I've ever seen. He, d he didn't cuss. He, 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 he was entertaining and he dropped truth bomb after truth bomb in his own way where he didn't offend people. He could express himself in a loving way. Like he was talking about fluoride. He was talking about the record company. He was trying to talk about all these things that we have been blind to for years even and, brought up the hero's journey, which was fascinating to me. 
talked um, about yeah the exactly. hero's journey dark night of the soul so i think watching this interview for me it was a direct as above so below corollary to my life you know because like i said i see him as a special character in my life as you know somebody i've never met but somebody i like i resonate who is a truth teller who's trying to express their own truth and uh you know it comes off sometimes as offensive or but the, you know the main thing for me was he was able to sit in this very spiritual place of recognition of god and christ and he wasn't ridiculed for it he looked cool and he had a lot of great ideas and he wants to he's coming from like a loving space of putting knowledge on people and people that, you know, people will listen to us. They'll, they'll seek us out for certain things. But Kanye, I love it when somebody like that, who has such a mass appeal, can speak so much truth in, in such a way where it can penetrate and it can make a difference, but it won't turn you off and it won't, you know, polarize you in the opposite direction of like, no. Like, it's like, like I don't know. I just love that interview so much. I, I've only listened to it once. And I was actually having a really bad day that day, but uh, it really, I need to go back and listen to it because I don't know. I'm just a big Kanye fan. And Joe Rogan also, for me, it's kind of been a bummer as he gets bigger. I feel like he let, he asks, he doesn't ask his, the questions we'd want him to ask or hard questions. I think he throws a lot of softballs now to these people. So it's been very disappointing to me in a, in a way that, and this is why, again, like back to your point of like liking smaller accounts, when you reach a certain level of status or somebody's paying you a lot of money, you have to either keep that audience happy and it becomes a broad audience. So you can't go too left or too right or too extreme in one way or the other or too weird. And so this is very fine line. I try to maintain of like, you know what? I'd like to make money off of this. Maybe I like maybe to somebody to pay me to do this, but at the same time, I like being nimble, free, relatively small, because there's a certain point where you're so small where you don't have any audience, you don't make any difference. But there's, I think, a nice point that, and the universe has told me, it's like, we don't want you to have too big an account because it's too dangerous. It's too, these ideas are too you know, dangerous for you and too much too quick for the world. So it's like, just be happy with your little farm. Don't worry about what anybody else is doing. Meme like nobody's watching. Podcast like nobody's listening. Doesn't matter. And... I just by doing that, like, yeah, I heard you on that podcast talking about the Kennedy connection and the, the different realities of the four car and the six car. Just one conversation we had spread on, spread to another podcast. And maybe somebody listened to that podcast who has a big audience and they come to this podcast. So I just trust the organic nature of how things and ideas are spread that if I'm doing my part and really it only exists on a one-to-one -one basis, like me and you talking right now, or like if I'm working in the float center and somebody is in front of me, that is the universe. That is God. Now, what, what exists on TV at that moment simultaneously, there's some realness to that. There's some truth to that. But at the end of the day, I don't know what kind of bullshit fake news uh, CNN is trying to sell me, what ideas they want me to believe in. All I know is the person in front of me is what's real. The idea, the concept, the reality that I'm living and breathing in that has to be contended with is real. And so that is for me, the only God that exists is the moment of this truth that we're having together. And can I, can we be in a loving space of oneness or not? And if not, what is triggering me into duality and how can I work to, you know, bridge the gap between that idea or that person and, and then, and into that space of just loving and oneness and bliss. So yeah, it's a constant one-to-one uh, 
boots on the ground battle of, so it's like, yeah, it's nice to have a million people or a thousand people follow you and be cool what you're doing, but it doesn't matter ultimately, because if I affect one person with this podcast or Instagram that can affect a million people, that then my job is done. I don't have to personally do it uh, eat with each person. So that's for me to also learn is I have to rel- relinquish control here at a certain point when the float center gets bigger. It's like, I want to serve everybody the float personally, but I can't do that. There's a certain point. You just, you're, you're just one person. You have to trust people. And so me going forward, my thing is like I talked earlier is I like controlling things. I like to be the one in charge. If I've done it, at least I know it was done my way. It was my idea. It was my art. I take responsibility, but I also know either, you know, if I gave it all or gave it nothing, I'm going to, you know, depend on that for my success or not. Whereas my challenge now is to let more people in, right? To let, hey, you can do the lighting. I don't need to do the lighting, the hair, the makeup, the photography. You know, I can let somebody else in. You can do the floats. You can clean the room. You can hold the space a little bit. I trust you. So now my challenge is as I expand, I think one of the biggest lessons I have to learn left as a human being and having an individual subjective experience is taking these ideas of, yeah, okay, you're one with the universe to a degree. You're God to a degree. You're experiencing that as a truth. You're even giving that to other people to empower themselves. But then, okay, can you step outside of your ego so fully and be at one with the universe where you can let other things kind of take control where you before wouldn't want to. So that's my big challenge going forward is if this expands, anything that I'm doing as it expands, I have to let go. And that's my personal journey right now is releasing the reins a lot of, on a lot of these things I have created that are, you know, they get a, a life of their own. And with these accounts, you can either, you know, let it go and grow and bring other people on board, or you can just totally go as long as you can alone. And maybe you'll, you know, eventually die because no man is an island. But because uh, I'm one of those people that if I'm drowning, I will drown. I will not ask for help. I'm, <laughs> that is something I'm so, like I have lots of faults. That's probably my biggest one is I don't want to ask for help no matter how much I'm struggling. I have so much pride and my ability to get things done and my mind and my brain. And again, this has been my spiritual process and my deconstruction of ego, which has, you know, no man is an island. And actually it's those times when I release and trust that a, I get the relief of like, Oh God, I don't have to do this anymore. This person can do this job and they get the benefit of learning at something new. And then I get to move on to the next thing, which is, okay, maybe we can do another float center now because you've, you, Hey, asshole, you've been able to let go a little bit of your just, you know, iron grip. I like to have an iron grip over things. And I, <laughs> and I don't like to let them go because I, I'm like, fuck, if I'm doing it good, then, you know, can this person, can this person give the float to this stranger off the street as good as I am? Because, you know, I'm obsessed with it and I, I care about it. And it's like, my challenge is, is like, I have like a 99.9% success rate with floats here because again, I'm obsessed with it. I'm here all the time. The water's perfect. The, the, the sound is silent as much as I can get it. And so it's like, if I give that to someone else, you know, they're making $10 an hour, $15 an hour. They don't own the place. They have a, a life outside of here. How great is that float experience that they're going to give? You know, they haven't floated a million times like I have, you know, so that's my challenge as I grow is to kind of, can I defer to other people? Can I trust God in another person? And I know that when I let go to somebody that they're going to show me a place where I may have, you know, judged 
or been in the dark about something. They may steal from me. They may uh, have relationship problems in my, as an employee with me. You know, it, it might bring something to the surface of my personality, which is uh, you know, not the best. So it's that also that fear of as I grow, uh, I'm going to, I don't want to be confronted with any more challenges. I'm tired of the dark night of the soul stuff. Can I please just shine now? And so it's like you get comfortable, but that's like, that's still, that's, it's, it's an ego. It's spiritual ego sometimes. I don't want to let go anymore. I'm tired of this. Like, please stop dismantling me. Can I just fucking chill? So it's like, do I want to create more things or do I want to let you know, the universe just let go and do I just want to sit in front of a wall and not do anything but just bliss out? So part of me obviously wants to still do the Maya, the dance, the illusion, and, and do all I can within it. I feel like there's things that my ego wants to do and it has to learn. And there's no way to learn it but going through the experience of you know, letting someone else in your business, uh, dating someone, being in a relationship. Like that's another reason I'm not in a relationship is I like being free and the ability to do what I want when I want to do it so much that I don't want to let anybody into that space right now. As much as I'd like to have sex or, 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 or have romance or be with someone, have companionship, I was so cooked from my last relationship, so scarred and destroyed that this person came in and I let him, I let him come on in and just completely, like that was the Kali, that was the goddess that coming into my life, the darkness and just dismantling everything that I, as an ego complex thought was true or right about reality, that I was in control and it could be, it should be this way or the highway, all these things that this woman came in and just completely dismantled. And she didn't even know she was dismantling it, you know, just the, the karmic attraction of two people. And finally, and I'm just ranting here, but the, the, the final thing I've been dealing with is these people who are like twin flame stuff or law of or soulmates. They, they think they're in love with me. They are relatively in their own state of darkness and they meet someone who is relatively in a state of light and they are attracted to that. There's so many reasons. I don't know. Are you, are you single? Do you, are you in a relationship? Are you avoiding relationships? What's going on with you? I, I love the Tao Te Ching and the Tao says there is a time for relationships and there's a time for being alone. So everything that comes to us, you know, is the time and it's perfect. So now you have the chance to be alone, just like I have my opportunity to finally be alone uh, after seven years of being married. And that's why I became a yogi. So the past two years, has been such a change in the pace because now I can focus 100% on the path of enlightenment. Whereas before, you know, I was living in Los Angeles, freelance graphic designer, I had a pug and a Siamese cat and my beautiful wife. And every day it would be something new, another adventure. We'd go out to eat, come home, do work, walk the dog, walk the cat, whatever. It's always something when you're with somebody and you're attached in a relationship it's never, it's never you. You make the time for yourself, but then you're always going to have to go back to a sort of routine. And when two people are spiritually awakening, such as my wife and I, we were like twin flames, soulmates, but there comes a time when even twin flames have to split. They come here for a mission. They meet for the mission. They accomplish everything that they wanted to accomplish relationship-wise, spiritually. And then we part ways perfectly with no disagreements, with love, with understanding, with respect. 
and we still keep in touch when we need to, but we don't need to be with each other every day. That attachment is not necessary in our spiritual relationship. So I can be living perfectly happy as a yogi, meditating in my meditation house, in a cave, or walking through Bangkok. Doesn't matter. I am perfectly happy in my space now as a, as a yogi, single, wandering the world by myself. All the responsibility is on me. I have no more responsibility for my pug or my Siamese cat or my wife or her family, my family. It's just me. And this is the life of a yogi. You put 100% responsibility for all your happiness, for all your success, everything. And I think that is really empowering. And I was inspired by the Tao. I was inspired by Bashar. I was inspired by so many great spiritual teachers. And now I follow mainly um, Vajrayana Dzogchen masters for my teachings because I've released all sort of uh, following of anything that I had from my past because they were stepping stones. I graduated those lessons and I'm moving more to, to new lessons, new teachers, new places, you know, in the world. But, uh, oh, you know, Kanye West, he is, he is in the game. He is part of the game. He's a game changer. And you and I, having been, I guess, the term psychonauts, we've been DMT explorers, hyperspace explorers. Um, so has Kanye West. Uh, a few years ago, there were all these memes about Kanye and DMT. So he's seen the transcendental object at the end of time. So now he is actually an out-of-place artifact in the world, navigating, and he's going to create monumental change in all parts of society because he's touched the eternal object that is impossible and he's bringing it back into our 3d world and yes. this podcast is going to change everything this podcast is going to let people know that artists are going to be the people who are the leaders of the great awakening artists Absolutely. designers we are going to be the ones that are going to change everything even politically and i think it's really really amazing that he was able to tell us his thoughts in a way that I could look at him as somebody who has taken psychedelics and has seen higher dimensional realms. And now I see him in place to make huge changes for our world. And I was just like really impressed. And I'm glad that you saw the interview as well. Oh yeah. So we have these players now that are sort of like in our boat. And now it takes a little bit of pressure away from me and you, because now we're just like, all right, Kanye, sail in that boat toward the horizon and we trust you. I know that you're going to do a good job and maybe I'll meet you one day, something like that. So we have all of these people who have touched the psychedelic object and now they're able to bring it back into the 3D world and make positive change because everything the psychedelic wants is to, for it to be shown to the world, for it to change the world, to make it more one more peaceful and more nurturing. Totally. My whole thing on Kanye West, and I think it just continues to be proven, is, you know, he starts out with Jay-Z. Jay-Z's in there with the Illuminati. I think every star, regardless of the medium, radio, uh, music, uh, 
Hollywood films, they all have this Faust, they make this Faustian bargain uh, on one level or the other. They compromise either willingly with the blackmail or unwillingly. They have controllers and handlers. And I think for years he had a handler and he was controlled. But Kanye's always been awake. Always, I think. Always been much more awake than anybody he was in hip hop with. Always. And slowly over time, either th with the psychedelics, I, I agree. He started smoking DMT and, and like um, 2CB. He even talks about it in his songs a couple years ago. I think, and he was floating actually. I, I, one of these float centers had reposted. I, I still have it that he had floated there. So I know he's floated. I know he's done psychedelics. My theory was he went from being an MK Ultra slave uh, to then right around 2015, 16, as above, so below with same thing with me going through the, yeah, the nexus of psychedelics, touching the transcendental object at the end of time, trying to, from that experience to wake up from the mind control, you know, there's a, there's a point where he's on stage and he's having just, he's ranting and ranting. And then he's taken to the hospital that same night, not too long after that, he comes out and they say that every time you're MK ultra, you have blonde hair. Right. And he came out with blonde hair after that night. A couple days later, he's there with Trump. And that's that famous meeting where he's standing out in front of, uh, they're standing together in the lobby of Trump Tower. And Trump, Condi's like, I just want to take a picture with the guy. I think at that point, you, you, you were seeing at that point in time, uh, Trump was releasing, he like released Kim in North Korea. Uh, from the CIA control there. And I think also Kanye was released and then he switched teams, which is why you see you see a few things happen with Kanye. You got to really know these things to understand. Uh, like Stanley Kubrick, the guy who had seen too much working for them, never left England at a certain point in time, never flew, deathly afraid, died after eyes wide shut, totally Illuminati kill. I think the same thing happened with Kanye. I think he got too close. He was in the club. He somehow got out uh, via the Great Awakening, via Trump, via the psychedelics, whatever. Certain point in time, all these things happen for him. I think he's then, he builds his ranch in Cody. He moves as far away as possible, like, like Kubrick did um, from these people and these things. So that's why he's in Cody now, in the, in the middle of nowhere in Wyoming, way, way away from Hollywood. So he's broken the MKUltra control. He, he goes and meets with Trump. He's now with the Alliance, right? He's working with the Alliance. I truly think that he's working with the Alliance to be a third party candidate to take away votes from Biden. So I think that he's working with the Alliance. I think he made a huge point before he did that with the wearing the MAGA hat. Like, listen, you, you, you know, you're going to let people say that you're black or not black because you're wearing a hat. Or are you going to let people define you by this? Like he was waking people up. Like when he was talking about slavery, he wasn't talking about slavery from 400 years ago. He's talking about being a mental slave. And so again, the media takes his stuff and they, they, they paint their own picture with it, which most people think, oh, well, he's just a crazy guy that hates black people. Not the case at all. He's a guy who's waking up from pharmaceutical MK ultra control, switching over to the Alliance. You see the MAGA hat, you see the blonde hair, you see the move to Cody. And now you see what we've got today, which is, yeah, He's turned his life over to Christ. I believe it. The music, I think, resonates with that truth. He's been on that truth for at least since he's been on it a year. Like, he hasn't deviated. Nobody's perfect, so I guess people are looking for him to, like, screw up. But the Joe Rogan interview is, like, this the perfect culmination of all the stuff he's been through. And this mainstream media filter of just the right interviewer with Joe Rogan. And, yeah, this is a huge, massive part of The Great Awakening, which is... 
Kanye's own personal journey through the Satanism, the blackmail clubs, the Illuminati, the control system, the politics of race, all these things he's gone through. And to, to be, and then like a year and a half ago to be in the White House with Trump, like that's crazy. You'd never think you'd see, you know, 10 years ago, Kanye West in the White House. And it was a shame because you had a black president in there and it never happened with Obama. Obama's deep state, obviously. Um, so yeah, it's like the whole Kanye journey, my whole life since I've been into him has been this like, I totally like every album was like resonating at a point in my life where I was like the highest of highs or the lowest of lows. And I always felt like he was personally singing to me where, with where I was in life. And so I've always had this very personal connection to Kanye West as, as also as somebody who's a truth teller and somebody who wants is like an agitator um, or, you know, purposely choosing the other side to, to piss you off on purpose. Uh, and he's always been like that. And so one thing Kanye has been constant with is as, a, as an agitator and somebody who just uh, he's going to speak his mind, whether you like it or not. And I've always admired that about him. I've always been a big fan of the music. So there's been that. It's, like, it's not like he's untalented. But I'm so happy the direction he's taken. And he's proof positive to me and another person that what I'm going through is legitimate. The Great Awakening is, is actually happening on a mass scale. And as we go deeper into this shift, you, the byproduct of the shift should be people waking up embracing the light and then giving their new perspective from that new position of I've, you know, touched the transcendental object at the end of time, or I've had an awakening. So you should expect to see a lot of these mind control slaves, like Britney Spears is losing her mind. Like follow some of these people who may not be uh, pushing the Illuminati agenda, but maybe victims to it. Like there's a lot of people that have been caught in the gears of this system that they're still in the spotlight, but they're like going crazy they're not getting the jobs or they're not as famous as they used to be. And it's really bringing out a lot of their programming. Like Britney Spears is a really interesting person to watch in terms of how she's been controlled, been a mind controlled slave. And now she's been fighting for years to get control of her affairs. And she also has been shifting. So although she may not be on the level of me and you or Kanye, like it's always interesting to look at people from their relative position of where they were years ago to where they're now and where they're actually like their trajectory of where their spirit and energy is going. And so I think in general, you're just going to see a continual as the media continues to lie and continues to, you know, not tell the truth and be corrupt. You're going to see it eventually collapse under the weight of its own corruption. A lot of people are going to be indicted that are, you know, these indictments are going to be unsealed people are going to be arrested. Like I truly believe the great awakening still is happening. Nothing is shaking my faith. We've got the, the Alan Pe Parrott whistleblower with Obama and the CIA hiding uh, Osama bin Laden, right? Did, did you know about this story? No. Okay. So the Alan Parrott story is this, uh, as much as I can remember it, there's this guy in the intelligence community. I think it was CIA. He's a whistleblower. And in the past two weeks, and it's really interesting that you haven't heard this. That's how buried this story is, but there is a guy who was whistleblowing on the Obama administration saying, look, this $150 million billion we gave them, and then this $2 billion in cash we sent over on a pallet, on a plane, this was hush money because Iran had said that they had Osama bin Laden where they actually caught him, right? That wasn't him. That was a body double. The SEAL teams that killed him, that plane, that helicopter was shot down per their orders. This has been all hush money because Iran has secretly had Osama bin Laden this entire time. And so this is what's been slowly leaking out, very suppressed story. And if you look at the Q post, it's like, welcome aboard, Alan. This guy's name is Alan Parrott. 
and very interesting story for people that haven't looked into it. But yes, basically they hit Osama bin Laden and they said this was where he was. We went and killed him, right? That's why you had the burial at sea. They don't do that, right? They don't, that's not an Islamic burial. That's not a Muslim burial at sea. You don't do that. So that right there raises the red flags. There was never a body produced. It was supposedly a double. And then, Obama, and then the, the, the country says to Obama, look, we've got, we actually have him here and you're gonna have all this egg on your face if you don't pay this money. And so they've got all these uh, hard drives with all this information this guy is claiming. And so this is a new one that's coming out. This is not Hunter Biden related at all. This is Obama hiding the fact that they never got bin Laden and they paid billions, 152 billion, billion with a B to Iran to hide this up, to cover this up. So I'm not saying bin Laden is still alive, but there's a good possibility that what we saw was not the truth. The SEAL Team 6 was killed for that reason. And it's just been this huge cover up. So since you don't know much about that, I guess we won't go into that too much, but uh, something to definitely look into if you have. I heard that story in other ways, but 85% of what you said is what I've heard before. I just didn't know the names associated with like such as Alan. Uh, I didn't know about that guy, but I came across that story. So oh, it's, wow. it's good that you told it to me because now we have corroboration from my years of research plus years. And yeah, that, that's the, the craziest story that they, they totally said they got bin Laden. We didn't. And then we paid all this money to cover up the fact. And, you know, who knows? Another one I wanted to talk about was this account I came across with Magic Eyes Only, MJ12. And there was this Twitter account and it's been shut down in the past couple weeks. And it was about, it was called uh, MJ12. And it was like MJ12 Disclosures. But it wasn't like the original Majestic 12. This was like an account of disclosure that was kind of like a corollary with Q. Have, have you heard anything about this account at all? Have you seen any of this information? Was it on Twitter and Instagram? It was mainly on Twitter. But yes, it was a little bit on Instagram too. But it was Majestic 12 Disclosures. I think I know what you're talking about. Keep going. Well, it's just... I was on Twitter and then this guy was like, here's the whole account condensed into a 600 page book. And it talks about gold. It talks about the Alliance. It talks about marijuana project looking glass. It is like next level information for people who are into this map and into the Q stuff and into all these great awakening concepts. It's not something you can really find anywhere. Um, I have, a, I, I luckily was able to get a PDF of it, but it's basically this condensed version of all these posts that this account was making and basically saying that as the majestic 12, the current majestic 12 are higher ups in the military and extraterrestrials that are running this account. And they are using the voice of God technology to beam this information into the, they have three people that run the account. And so they, beam this information via the voice of God technology into the person who is typing up this account. So it's kind of channeled in a weird way. But uh, if you haven't looked into it, it's kind of hard to get into it. I I'm going to talk about it a lot in the next solo podcast I do because a lot of the information is like, okay, marijuana is good. It came from aliens, but it really goes into it like super detailed, like stuff. It's like, wow. And it's like gold. Gold is the currency of, you know, gold is the currency of, of space, not just on earth, as a form of currency, but the most respected form of currency in the galaxy is actually space. It also talks about human, humans as this material in this gigantic intergalactic adrenochrome human harvesting ring. Right? It's not just humans on Earth 
eating other humans, selling other humans, but we are this prized commodity of aliens. And outside of the MJ-12 stuff I'm talking about, I've seen this also where it's like the aliens from the cows and the humans, they want adrenal glands, they want adrenochrome, they want certain parts of the body. It's very valuable to them. And so I've known this, and this, like I said, this MJ-12 disclosure stuff, it just added the next level of like, okay, that really does make sense. Like there's lots of precious metals, but why gold? But yeah, they, they said gold is really uh, very special in making extraterrestrial craft. And it's almost impossible to have a lot of these crafts that these extraterrestrials fly around in without gold. So that's the importance of gold as a, as a currency. It's like, okay, I get it. It's a rare metal on earth. Who gives a shit? Um, but no, the aliens want gold and they want to eat your blood. So, and marijuana is something that has been brought down from extraterrestrials to help awaken humanity uh, and that not to smoke it actually, to eat it. Like we, we all be better off if we just ate marijuana. And, I, and I'm really paraphrasing a lot of this stuff, but I just wanted to run it by you because I know a lot of this stuff is, and, and like one of them was like, it said, well, don't trust Corey Good. But I don't know, Corey Good, a lot of that stuff, I, I, I'm about 75% on Corey Good. I know you're probably about 100%, right? I the majority of the Great Awakening map has testimonial taken from him and from William Tompkins. So um, he's also been vetted by Project Camelot, who's really hardcore with this kind of stuff, and Michael Sala. So with those top researchers um, who trust Corey all the way, I've been following all of these people for over 12 years and I've met all of them. So, you know, it just comes natural to me as a researcher to, to observe everything that he's, um, that he's told. And he also goes into the galactic human slave trade. And he says that humans are one of the most uh, traded commodities in the galaxy because humans are good engineers and they take some of the most brightest minds from our planet because we can engineer really amazing technologies. Um, and ETs are, are obsessed with the type of um, quality that humans can produce, which is very fascinating. You have to remember that the human body is a, is a mixture of, of hundreds of, of DNA from other extraterrestrial races from around the galaxy. So we are the galaxy's most prized species because we contain all of their talents. So you have thousands of ET races mixing their best genes into the human genome. And that is why we are traded as commodity across the galaxy. This is the dark side of the space program. There's also the positive side where we're treated as gods and we're, we're treated just as equal as highly ascended uh, ET beings. But the dark side of the story that we're talking about is how humans are traded for all sorts of heinous reasons. And um, the one I just talked about is our ability to be skilled designers and, and engineers that ETs use for all sorts of things. It could be for craft, it could be for their planets. Who knows what it is? It's very interesting and it's very fascinating that um, humans and Earth is so highly prized and so highly guarded and protected. And that is why we are the center of the, the Great Awakening, the Great Solar Flash. We're the greatest show in the galaxy. All the human, all of the ET um, races are here watching now to see what happens during the great solar flash and the events leading up to the full mass ascension of, of humanity. So we have to always remember that. 
Uh, we're always going to be a galactic civilization. We already are. It's just that we obviously haven't awoken to it as a, as a, as a planet. Only the, the woke people are aware of this, this kind of stuff. And the people who are out there contacting ETs every night, you know, they know the truth. Well, you know, the interesting thing for me is this, where's the, where's the line between alien and angel or demon? And so what I'm thinking is a lot of this stuff that we call aliens are actually demons or angelic beings. And my takeaway from the Illuminati, from the, from the secret meetings they have, from the sacrifices is when they are having these high level ceremonies and they're contacting an entity they are actually contacting, you know, Baal or uh, Moloch, whatever they want to call it. They are actually in contact with a actual extraterrestrial masquerading as a ancient deity or a, demon, a demonic, the devil, Satan. And they're not actually in touch with an actual, uh, you know, like Satan himself, but they're actually in touch with some alien that just wants to drink and eat human blood and, and it has tendencies psychopathic tendencies obviously it's a dark entity but they're not really in touch with satan i think sometimes as as, as much as they are uh as an idea but an actual being masquerading as one of the ancient ones right so that's like okay and, and the inverse of that is obviously these uh light beings are angels right because uh, if you look at like okay i get it we have technology and maybe aliens exist, but what, what the hell were the people 500 years ago experiencing? You know, they didn't have a relative understanding of magnets and electricity and technology and all these things that we have, chemistry, blah, blah, blah. Or maybe they did and it was just like, it's hidden. But the point is, they thought they were encountering demons and angels, whether, whereas they could have been just entities, higher, high vibing entities, low vibing entities. And whereas it's like the opposite now, we think we're in contact with fucking aliens, but it's actually lower astral beings or higher astral beings. And I do think you have an interesting point there as well that you, you say we're the mixture of all these aliens, but I think what the, what the real, why they really want us is we are made in the image of the creator and they are bastardizations of that. They are mutations of that. They are corrupted versions of that or higher versions of that. The, the angels, right? That's just a, uh, maybe a spiritual, slant on the aliens because a lot of people are like well maybe these fuckers are just uh, demons <laughs> and maybe you shouldn't listen to certain aliens and maybe you know like especially with like voice of god maybe you're not even talking to an alien maybe you're talking to somebody in langley virginia sitting in front of a microphone telling you what to think or do um so my thing is like don't trust anything don't trust any being don't trust anything but your own inner self and ask for the truth ask for grace and I have yet to encounter a low or high vibrational entity in a non-psychedelic state, thankfully. But I do believe from my research that these people on the lower level are doing sacrifices to aliens masquerading as, uh, you know, the ancient ones. What do you think of that? Yeah, I definitely encourage people not to follow channelings. And if you do follow channelings, just observe the information. Don't become polarized by it um the, oh, you know what? Hold, the, on, hold on the, but, but let me say this real quick i was actually somebody sent me a video about saint germain you know saint germain like the, with the purple and all that right yes so somebody was telling me that saint germain and i watched this video with an open mind and they were like 
because Saint Germain is this channeled entity. They, the, ultimately, the video is basically saying it was Satan. That Saint Germain is not good. But what I thought was so fucking funny about this video, and I'll send it to you, was there was a your 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 map was actually in it. Like your map, they showed a picture of your map. Now they weren't talking shit about your map, but they were like talking about new age people and channeling and channel information. And I'm like, man, everywhere I go, I see your map. So I cannot escape your map, even on topics where we're trying to figure out if Saint Germain is Satan, right? Because that was the thing about when my friends are like, you know, I had, a, I had a point in my awakening where everybody's like, the I am's, your I am is what's creating a reality. I am tired. I am enlightened. I am disgusting. I am strong. I am weak. I am is like the command prompt of your life and you, whatever you put behind that I am. So there was a point in time, maybe a year, where I played around with St. Germain and the I am's. And, you know, I, I, it, if it did anything, it brought me into more of a consciousness of what I was thinking whether I'm thinking I'm exhausted or I'm, I hate myself or I love myself, my I ams, I was very, it brought me into a space of that. But then I kind of discarded all of that because I don't need any avatar. I don't need anything like that really ultimately. Once you taste the truth, you can kind of just sit in that space on your own. You don't need anybody else to tell you what it is or isn't. So I think a lot of these spiritual things, a lot of these uh, entities, a lot of these channelings, as much as they can be enlightening, as much as they can wake you up to a next level, I think they can also be a trap or a distraction for people who are caught up in trying to have a relationship with an entity or trying to get information from the entity that, 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 that becomes the block for you. You know, like I heard, I think a sad guru says this avatars are nothing more than stepping stones. And you said this before stepping stones to a higher reality, a higher truth. So as, and I'm not again, discrediting Jesus or Krishna or anybody. I think those are all enlightened beings that have experienced the oneness and have brought that truth to us. So I'm not discrediting or shooting down any of these avatars, but like St. Germain is one that comes up a lot in new age communities and new age communities alone. And I just thought that was so fascinating that I would watch this video out of nowhere that this follower sent me. And right in the middle of the video was your poster. So you're everywhere, my friend. <laughs> Thank you. That's really funny. I, I see these videos on YouTube as well, and I always save them to my Great Awakening map playlist. So if anybody wants to go to YouTube and search uh, Great Awakening map, you'll find my channel, and you'll only see four videos, but if you click on the playlist that I create, you'll see all of these videos of others around the world who have done analysis of the Great Awakening map, and I think it's amazing because uh, you just have people who are finding the map for the first time and you're hearing their reactions, you know. It's like watching people's reactions to two girls, one cap. But this is the reactions to the Great Awakening map. And you get the whole gamut of emotions from anger to, to elation, enlightenment, joy. People cry. It's, it's wonderful. But I was going to say, um, with, with channeling and, and uh, the reptilians and stuff like that, you have a lot of people who think the reptilians are higher dimensional beings. But... They're just dark forces um, stealing energy from people, loosh, whatever. But uh, there was a channeling that I followed for many years. His name was Bashar. And just like you said, I took the best information from Bashar as a stepping stone and it changed my life. And after a certain point, I let him go and I don't listen to him anymore. But um, from all of his amazing teachings for years and years, over 20 years, He's never messed up once. His speech is impeccable. 
his concepts, his, his tone, his, his rhythm is unstoppable. And if anybody researches Bashar and puts into action his teachings, you will have a life of abundance and, and bliss and fearlessness. And, and it's basically why I'm a yogi now. Bashar's teachings taught me so much on how to live the perfect life of my dreams. And, you know, there, there are times when you listen to channelings and there's information that makes you cringe. And then there's information that you're just like, oh, yeah, I totally dig this. So you have to imagine that channeling is a filter. You're only getting a certain percentage of the truth of the being on the other side. Um, sometimes that being is not a being. Sometimes that entity is you from the future, which is what Bashar was telling us. Um, so just keep that in mind. You know, Everything that you see and hear when you awaken in this new 5D world, you have to be the, the only person that judges this information. You cannot allow others to sway your, your way of being, your state of being. You have to be always in control of your equanimity. See all of the information as if you're going to a library and you just have all these books laid out in front of you, but you haven't picked any of them up. You just know that these are all in your collection. You can take them out at any time and reference them. But it's not that you take out one book and you hold it with you your rest of your life and you only use that book because that's what happens when people follow channelings. Their ego gets involved. Then they want the channeling to be right because if it's not right, then it looks bad on them. So following channeling is really dangerous. And anybody who is just a beginner of channeling, never follow that type of stuff. It's just yeah, just like you said, there's, there's voice of God technology involved, which is very, very shady. And you just don't want to get involved with anybody who has a very low vibration that allows entities to come in and, and change the message that, that it sounds like it's the light, but it's actually of, of dark agendas. Just stay out of it and, and focus on happy, positive information that you feel is going to make you a better person. But there's no time left in this life. You have an X amount of moments left in your life. You don't know when you're going to go. Don't waste it on anything that's going to make you lesser of a person. Try to always spend every moment making yourself a better person at every, every moment. You know, that's another thing I think is people, with, especially people who are new to channeling. So I've been channeled many times. I've channeled many things many times. Usually it's in a space of complete emptiness on acid. That's like the key is to let the thing in. And it's interesting what can come in. And if you're unconscious, obviously very dark things can get in there. And I, tr I truly believe from personal experience that uh, angelic or demonic possession is any kind of possession is possible. You've, like you said, the voice of God technology where they, have they can beam uh, voices into your head. Uh, they can read your mind now. So there's all kinds of possibilities of what's happening. Uh, then there's obviously the schizo mind, which is just in this thought loop of never-ending uh, reinforcement of that psychotic belief or paranoid belief that is going to keep manifesting. So yes, initially when you get into channeling, you're not so clear. You're not in that space of oneness. You're kind of lost and you're more than likely out acting out of your ego. So to sit there and to know it's a resonance game and then think, oh, well, you know, this thing, first of all, maybe just reinforcing your ego, what you want to hear. It, there may not be any truth to it at all because you're still sitting in a space of delusion and not oneness and division. So there's that danger in the beginning of, yeah, something just coming in and taking you for a ride. 
And, uh, and, and ultimately you needed that because I always think that, listen, God is not, the universe is not wasting any time or energy with you. It's going to get you to wake up. How it gets you to do that, the lessons you need to learn, that's on you. That's your personal experience. That's your package of chemical thought, emotion that you've accumulated over space and time, which has now arrived at this point to be released. And so the universe, through its majestic, infinite intelligence, is trying to find the best way possible to achieve as many things as it can at once because it's not about wasting energy. The universe is infinite and perfect. And I'm always acting from that space of, okay, although my ego is caught in some kind of trap. I know that everything externally is actually perfect. As much as I want to impress judgment on it that it's not, if I can just step back, let the universe reveal itself to me, not be so triggered. And if I have to be triggered, then yeah, trigger it all out of me, pull it out, you know. But I'm always trying to act from that space of emptiness and oneness. And so yeah, anybody that's getting into this, not in that space, you can be taken all, on all kinds of rides. Oh, 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 I'm a good demon. Oh, I'm a good uh, channel. Oh, you should do this or you should do that. Uh, oh, but now it's not coming true. So now I'm wrong and now you're crazy. So yeah, definitely discernment with channeling. Uh, like I said, fruit of the spirit is always a good way to look. It's like if, if somebody's trying to say they're channeling something or you've got a following or, or you're following somebody like, what, uh, what are they telling you to do here? Where's this leading to? Are they trying to empower you? Or are they trying to get you to buy something, buy books, buy more courses? Uh, no, information, knowledge, the truth is always going to be free. Keep asking for it if you can't find it for free. Um, and sometimes I think when you are asked to pay something for a healing, it's not about it being a certain way for a reason that, you know, it, oh, I have to be charged money. No, it's about you having to appreciate something more because if I give it to you for free, you're going to discard it just like everything else. But if I make you pay for something, I think this is what the, 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 the main guy that started Reiki, I think this is what he says basically is when you make them pay for it, they really, it, it gets so much more in, into them. They ingrain it. They take it better. They appreciate it more. Whereas if you're just giving shit away for free all the time, it a lot of times will fall on deaf ears or ungrateful, fall into ungrateful hands and they won't hold on to it. They won't listen to it. And so sometimes it's better to charge because as much as I want things to be free, you know, we have to pay the bills here. There's power. There's, I'd love to float everyone for free, but uh, at the end of the day, I got bills to pay and we do provide a service, but for teachings and stuff like that, just be careful because, you know, a lot of this stuff, the universe is, can be free. You know, do you have to have the lesson of paying to earn it? Maybe, maybe you need that lesson. I don't know, but I truly think that, yeah, you can access the truth of reality for free. If you're just quiet, still enough and patient enough, and then to act on it when it actually is finally revealed to you. And, and it may go against everything your ego complex has been built up to believe. And that's the hard part of taking that leap but you can do it. I feel it. Um, let's see. Uh, is there anything? Exactly. Because uh, if somebody has fear in their aura and they're channeling, this is going to allow negative information to come through. And if somebody is in a state of fear and they're listening to channeling, it's going to allow them to latch on to this information as a way to, to escape that, that, that pain of fear that they feel. So somebody who's spiritually awakened or somebody who's like an ascended master they don't have a need for channeling information or for listening to channeled information because ultimately you're listening to this information because you want something. You want to know the future. You want to know what's going to happen. You want to have a peace of mind. You want to have a, a healing of joy. So, I mean, if you can just get that without channeling, there's no need for you to risk your life. There's no reason to risk 
um, following something that could be wrong. And channeling is a, is a filter. You're not getting full on telepathic contact, which is much, much more beneficial. If you want to contact ET beings, um, do it from a space of loving kindness and practice CE5 with uh, an open heart and make the intention to the universe that you are only going to be able to contact uh, beings of higher loving consciousness. Make the intention that you do not allow any negative beings or negative energy into your life. You have to make this, uh, this affirmation um, many times you know, throughout the year. Always protect yourself spiritually from any type of uh, negative circumstances by um, making the attention like a prayer or affirmation, um, writing it down, whatever you want to do, however you feel, just make the intention to the universe that you are going to be protected at all times from any type of negative beings or negative energy. And when you go out in public, envision a shield around yourself protecting you and your aura from things that may uh, stick to your aura or you know, whatever you want to imagine, um, it's out there. So always make the intention that you'll be safe, that you'll be protected because you are your own, your, your own God, your, your higher self. You're connecting to your higher self when you make these type of uh, affirmations. So protect yourself and follow positive information. You don't have that much time on this planet. So do the best you can to follow only the highest teachings from those that you really really feel joy when you when you come across this information you should feel joy you shouldn't feel fear or, or a sort of need to want to uh like if people follow channelings because they they want to know something in the future that's going to help their life now i mean i, I totally the channelings I think, are yeah. always going to be the same like when i used to listen to the galactic federation by all these different different people who channel them the message was always the same, but it wouldn't go anywhere. It was always the same thing like, okay, the UFOs are here. They're shining light, da light down on people. They're healing people. Um, there's going to be an event coming soon. The, the ETs are helping to open this Stargate portal, light beam activation, whatever. It's always the same thing, but nothing ever comes. It's just the same story, and, and it changes again next month. So I just like forgot, I forgot all about those channelings. I never followed them anymore. And then my life just became better naturally because I started following better teachers and better ascended uh, masters like uh, enlightened monks and lamas and Buddhas and whatever. That's what I really uh, love that, following now. Yeah, so, that's, that's, mean, that's what's happened to me too is um, you get to the point where it's all either going it, to it, – it gets to a point where you got what you need out of it and it's either going to trap you further, distract you, or you can go on, take that next step to the higher teachings – of non-duality, bliss consciousness. It's always there. It's always happening. Step outside of the uh, illusion. You can live in both, but, uh, you know, learn that the other side's actually there. There's another side to this coin. It's called bliss consciousness. And, you know, you've been enjoying this dream for quite a while, long time, and that's okay, but it's time to wake up and uh, exist between the two at least and wake up and maybe fully embrace what's next, which we don't know, on the other side of infinity. But... Uh, yeah, man, it's been an incredible journey. This is our third episode, and again, this is the universe pulling this together. My friend who had been floating here, and I just really become friends with him as we took over in the last year and a half. I said this in the first episode, he was the one that brought your poster to my attention, and 
again, I avoided it for a while because I was just trying to, you know, I'd seen a lot of this stuff and I know the, the classic traps of the mind and rabbit holes and fear. And I said, you know what, this looks so fucking cool, but I've kind of let all that stuff go. But then I started to get into Q and then this came back around and he just, my friend never gave up on the poster. He had the poster in his room and he kept bringing it to me. <laughs> over and over again and so you know it, I'm, I'm a little bit in ego i'm like i don't need to see this fucking poster i'm good on all this fucking shit and finally i just relented because i realized hey you know what this is still the universe here bro and another person trying to take you to the next level maybe some information or a friend and look all this great stuff has happened now because i just you know not that he was an irritant because i love him to death uh but at the time it's like you know like everybody is the universe actually still even in your elevated state, bro, can still bring you things that can blow your mind. And so it's like, I'm always having to remember that, even though I'm in this space a lot, that everybody's God, everybody's here to accelerate you. And uh, if you can let go of your ego, if you can take five seconds to look at the person and really, and so yeah, I relented, I let go. And I've entered into this journey of your poster, your map, and all the things and people and ideas that have a lot of them have been dormant in the back of my mind for years, secret space program and a lot of these conspiracy theories. And now it's like, wow, is this the big payoff now? Are we going to, is the great awakening really happening? And you know, it, it absolutely 100% is. I'm here to reassure everyone that's listening. I don't care how deep down you are in your dark night of the soul. You've got just enough to get out, just enough to get stronger. Keep churning that butter to keep, you know, it'll, it'll form cream and you'll be the mouse that got out instead of the one that drowned because you gave up like a bitch. But, you know, just me, just one, just one turn in the road, right? Just literally one turn in the road, which was embracing this information my friend was incessantly endlessly trying to drop on me with this poster i'm like bro i've seen it enough i know a lot of these things but now i'm telling you just one little shift in your life one little change one little be open to this be open to that and now we've had three great conversations i've learned so much more about a lot of these things i i knew about or i didn't even know about and now i know so much more and the interconnectivity of all these things and the great awakening dude so many messages i've received in my dms and Forgive me, people that are listening to this, that I did not respond or I glanced at it and I just couldn't respond because it would open up a whole door of me and I just can't talk a long time on some of these DMs. I'm just, it's just too much. And so forgive me there, but a lot of people like, let me, I want to translate your episodes into Spanish. Um, I shared oh this my with, God. I shared this with my friend. Um, now they follow your account or, you know, you've, really helped me not feel crazy about my life. So, so many little things have come off me taking one little turn into what my friend was trying so hard to bring to me. So that's why I'm saying people who are spiritually advanced, you're cocky, you know, don't, I mean, I learned this as a photographer, I'd be on set doing photos and I, you know, I'd have my own heart on a, of an idea of what I wanted to do. And I have a plan I wanted to execute, but you know, the universe is always there. The little mouse in the corner, the little hairstylist, the little person that's helping out, bringing us drinks. Hey, you should do this idea. You should put the light there. And that's God. And if I can step out of my ego as the main photographer, as the boss and say, Oh, you know what? Actually you're right. And I don't, if I can step off my high horse and out of my ego and recognize, and, I'm t and I tell everybody in any situation, 
that is God. That is another person, but it is God. And if you can abide in that, if you can shift your ego, if you can let go, if you can trust that, you know, this situation that looks scary for you or this, you know, hey, I got to listen to somebody that I don't think knows jack shit. A lot of those things can lead to great outcomes, great revelations, more knowledge. So listen to the universe. Like one of the most famous people that has done floating and she's been a part of this float community for years. She is um, one of the co-owners of the Samadhi Tank Company, one of the original ones that worked with John Lilly. Her whole thing is about listening and her whole life has changed from just listening because if you have the divine revelation of we're all one, yes, you're a part of the one. You can speak and you can listen. Most people just speak, speak, speak. They don't listen to anything and they're waiting for the other person to stop talking so they can speak again. But if you can do the exact opposite of that, try to be as quiet as possible. Let people just spill their beans, let it all come out. That's how I hold space for people for one thing. I could say, hey, you need to do X, Y, Z with your life. But a lot of times that's a projection of what I need to do. But if I can sit there in that space of oneness and non-judgment and love for this person and just let them speak, they're going to be able to dump it all out because they're not coming against a reflection of judgment. Like when you know someone for like a husband or a wife or mom and dad, you know this person five, six, 10, 15, your whole life. You've built up this whole wall of judgment against this person in your mind that they should do this or they should do that. They should be this way. What I do and what a lot of people do and they don't even know they're doing is that when they hold space for somebody, as long as they're not judging and it's, it's hard to get to that space of not judging someone and holding that space of oneness, of loving oneness, right? Because that person is you and that person is suffering and you want to help that person into the truth and help themselves. By sitting there quiet, silent, listening. That's all you have to do is listen with an open heart and not be so rushing in to say something. Don't judge. Then they get the healing and you get a divine revelation of the mirror, which is, I don't know what it's going to be because every person's different. But just by sitting there and being silent, be silent in the grocery store, be silent, let, let other people talk. You will get the most divine revelations about yourself and about the world. And a lot of times you'll get truth, right? Because let's say you want to know the truth about something and you've got somebody in front of you and you just talk, talk, talk the whole time. You're not going to get anything out of them. They're, they're, you, no, just be quiet and let the universe, the word come through just so you got to listen. So that's my... I don't know if you have any more questions for me. If you do, uh, we're, we're over two hours now. But my little final piece of advice here is just be quiet, be still, and listen to the universe. Beautiful, bro. If anybody wants to hang up the Great Awakening map on their wall and throw a dart at it, pray that the dart hits the rainbow body section in the top right corner because... The teachings that allow you to attain the rainbow body are all about listening, about closing your mouth and just letting everything occur before you. Let it all unfold before you without judgment, without any ego latching on or trying to push away anything that you see. And when you listen and observe, you are in the space of equanimity. And equanimity is the mind of the one infinite creator. It is always in this state of mind. And when you are in this state of mind, you are directly connecting holographically, 
completing the circuit. So you are one with all just from sitting in silence and listening in a human body. You are connecting back to the one infinite mind of all creation, which is just a mirror of yourself. So listening is the key of the Tao, is the key of Zen, of all spiritual teachings that are so deep on the surface, but actually they are so simple because it's all about letting go of what you want to say and just letting everything else talk to you without any judgment, just observing it all as one mind, your mind, a reflection of your mind. How you see it is how it truly is. So always see it from a state of bliss, from a state of compassion, from a state of wisdom. This is the only thing that you're going to take with you throughout your life now and all of your countless eons of lives that come after this. The only moment that will ever exist is now. So make sure that this moment right now, you are making it the perfect moment of bliss every moment because there is no other moment than this. So you have to do it now and it's going to last forever. If That's you right. Living in this moment and listening to everything that comes to you. Amen. And you've got your techniques. I think floating for anybody who is just unconscious hearts a mess minds a mess floating i think is a good place i think it's very hard sometimes to just sit and try to breathe out of nowhere and to take it to that advanced state people get frustrated um so that's why i offer the float tank as this you know cheat code basically skip to samadhi you know you can go through all the other limbs of yoga and they're all going to serve you well but if you want to get right to the last one you don't want to skip to the back of the book go into the float tank and then you can develop a, a, a relative state of stillness that you can take into a sitting practice. And then the floating for me, it becomes such a way of life that I do it so often that my mind by virtue of the float itself is basically still. It's only how much, you know, crap I want to put into it that takes it in the other direction. But before we end, uh, did you have any, do you have any like other questions for me before we wrap it up? Or I was going to ask you like, what were some of your most favorite DMT uh, encounters or visions, but but I was going to ask you to explain it in like a really simple way because I know that we could go on for hours and hours about things that we see in sure. hyperspace. I, think but I just wanted to like hear like some of your most favorite like elevator speeches of of the best interesting things you've seen the best okay. things you've seen. How about that? Okay, I'll just give you a quick rundown. So this is an interesting segue because I think. As I work through Sober October, which I've slipped up on a little bit, but uh, I'm starting to get into the zone where I'm going to re-enter the DMT realm. And uh, I have this guy who I want to interview. He's done DMT over a thousand times. He's got a bunch of books on it. So I'm kind of gearing up back to the DMT realm. So it's good that you asked about this. So for DMT, a few things. A lot of people ask me, how do I get DMT? Well, when the time is right, your magnetic, electromagnetic karmic propensity will just bring it right into your existence. Don't even have to look for it. The fact, the fact that you even are aware of DMT means you're on some kind of next level journey because a lot of people don't know about these things, right? Enlightenment, DMT. So when the DMT finally comes, you know, it helps to be a smoker. 
um, to hold these hits in. You want to hold the hit in as long as possible. That's going to help you break through. But in terms of me breaking through, I'll tell you what happened. The first time I ever did DMT, I was excited about it. I'd listened to Terrence McKenna talk about it endlessly. Joe Rogan, you know, there's a lot of expectations. I'd done acid, I'd done mushrooms, and those were their own levels of mind-blowing, uh, you know, being in hyperspace, being in an endless thought loop. Like, what are the possibilities here? This DMT is the ultimate. How can it be more ultimate than acid? So, you know, in acquiring this DMT, I had worked up to a point where I was seeking, you know, the reasons of how I had physically manifested this life of injury and cr chronic pain I was in. And that's why it started floating and the floating led to the DMT and the DMT re led to divine revelation. Well, the first time I did DMT, I did it in a loving space with some friends who are very much, uh, very powerful psychonauts. Let's just put it that way. And I, it was the pen. I'd use the DMT pen and, uh, you know, I'm a cr chronic marijuana smoker at the time. So holding these hits in is nothing for me. I can ghost all these hits. So I'm taking the DMT for the first time through the pen and I don't know what to expect. So I have no fear. I'm excited. Like right now I'm terrified to do DMT again. <laughs> That's why I haven't done it. I have so much access to it, but I will not touch it with a 10 foot pole. So the first time I'm doing it, I'm excited. I don't know what to expect. And I am blasted off into a realm where it's a kaleidoscope of colors I've never seen before. It's the best way to put it. And then I'm on this roller coaster, only one car. It's just me. And if anybody's familiar with the Alex Gray artwork with the, with the eyeballs and, the, and those realms, that was the other takeaway from DMT was I'm like, holy shit, the Alex Gray paintings are of a real place like you know it's not just something he had made up or a subjective experience that he had i was convinced like literally after the first time i did done dmt and i didn't even really break through was like the architecture and the colors and the visions that he was bringing into his paintings were of a real place that could be objectively returned to so i'm on this roller coaster ride i had taken three hits of the vape pen and I'm on this crazy roller coaster ride, and it's just a tunnel, like Space Mountain in the beginning. It's just like a tunnel with these eyeballs. Like it's, it's wanting to pull me in. But then I hit this wall at the end. It, it, it goes right up against this wall, and it's like the door. Like I'd broken through, but not quite all the way. And, the, and it literally had said to me, it's like, look, we, we appreciate your courage. We're glad you took the ride. But there's still things you need to do in the external reality to let let us let you enter deeper and so like again i was on this quest to heal myself so this was just a byproduct of my quest of smoking dmt i'm like okay more revelations more information i can act on this i can work on this and the dmt literally told me it's like look the next day just keep searching online you're going to find something that's going to really help you out and i did i came across this thing called atlas orthogonal Long story short, it's a way to put your atlas, your C1 vertebrae that holds up your head, which is why they call it your atlas, into perfect position with no touch, right? It was like this magical thing I had found. Like I'd literally realized I had gone into a dimension of healing where I truly believe with my you know, dimension of healing that there is an opportunity that the universe will provide you to heal yourself where it's not going to be, the, you know, it can be a fun journey of healing as opposed to this nightmarish, painful journey. And so... I had entered into this new dimension of healing. Long story short, I made the appointment. Um, a week or two goes by, I get adjusted. It's, an, it's like I said, you lay on a table. They put this tube up to your neck right where your atlas is. There's no touch. 
it's a click. And then like the first time it was like a tire in my neck was being deflated and all this pain and suffering, it was just huge release. And so I was like, okay, thank you DMT for that. It had shown me a way. And, and uh, again, I'd also realized that there was a spiritual solution to every physical problem you're having. So if I'm metaphysically or if I'm physically suffering, there's a metaphysical solution I've got to look at here. There's a spiritual solution to this problem that I need to address. And in my unconsciousness, I had accumulated this neck injury over and over years and years of hitting my head and getting in accidents because I was unconscious. So I'm having these revelations. I'm understanding why I had ended up in this position. I was basically, long story short, I was white knighting every girl I would meet. And I was like putting them on a pedestal and suffering that kind of existence to the point where I would get in car accidents or get hit by a car. I mean, I had some serious accidents that fucked up my neck. So I recognize this, that it's no longer, I'm not going to be the white knight. I'm not going to be you know, a victim. I'm not going to be all these things. I had all these revelations. They all came together at once. The neck healing was the physical part of that spiritual understanding being healed. Okay, so a couple weeks go by, DMT comes back to me. I wasn't looking for it. That's the key. Again, I wasn't looking for it. The first time I was, obviously, but it came to me when, I, when it was just right time. And that's what you got to trust. Like when it comes to you, especially if it's coming to you, in a, you know, from a good person, uh, you think it's time for your healing, you should take that ride. Some people obviously are ego, egotistically looking for it to gain power and knowledge. And uh, again, if you find it, it's time for you to get that information that you may or may not have that power or control. So again, take the ride out of your ego. You'll get your ass handed to you. But so the second time I did it, I did break through. We were on MDMA, which I think made the big difference. Because again, that first time, you're not scared. You don't know what to expect. There's no expectations. You may have expectations of grandeur or you know something that maybe Terrence McKenna has talked about, which is just basically ineffable, unexplainable, crazy stuff. But uh, the second time, you're usually a little less willing, unless you had a tr- tremendous, powerful, good experience. It's just so scary to completely be dissolved from your body, to be in a roaming awareness in an infinite space of maybe an unfiltered reality of your mind. Like ultimately, I think that's the takeaway is a lot of this stuff is if you're in a fear state, if you're in a joy state, it's this weird mirror of your unfiltered mind that you're traveling through in a timeless state. It's very weird. But the second time I broke through, or the second time I did it actually, I actually broke through all the way. And I was in this empty courtroom and there was a judge up way up high. I couldn't even see the face. The judge was more like an awareness. And I was under the spotlight in the courtroom. And the, the judge was like, wow, that you fit, figured out the physical part. And then you figured, or you figured, you figured out the metaphysical, spiritual part of this situation. And then thus, you are now healed physically. And then at that point in this DMT trip, I was a statue, rock hard. And then I just completely melted into a puddle and I could feel it and I can feel it as real as it was then and it feels real now. So as much as these you know, experiences are, they don't exist or they exist in your mind, they are real just as much as this life is real and your dreams are real. But uh, so that was the second time. Now, that, now, now, since then, I've had this journey of trying to quit marijuana and, you know, do, am I doing too much? Am I not doing enough? I was in pain trying to get rid of that. And the last few trips have been horrible because A, I have that preconception of what it could be and how powerful it is. And so I'm a little bit afraid to dip my toes in the water of being completely blown apart by what could happen, you know, you could die, not physically in, 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 in you know, but you, you could die in the sense that you could smoke the DMT thinking you're dying 
fly over your body and then go to heaven or hell. Because I've had my friends have experiences like that where they're like, well, I just completely floated over my body and I had the whole death trip, which is they went to some heaven or hell. So there's a lot of fear now because the last time I did it, um, I was really in a dark spot maybe a year or two ago of trying to quit weed. And I had so much anger and anxiety and frustration. And I was taking the first hit and I was okay. And I, I, and I took the second hit and I started to shake and the chrysanthemum portal appeared in front of me, but it was like all gross and crusty. And there was like hands coming out and tentacles. It was dark. And the, the person next to me, I was like, I started crying. And you know, when you're right on that edge of that second hit or to the third hit, you've really got to act because if you don't, if you don't go fast enough, you're not going to be able to break through or it won't be as good. There's just, you got to do it a certain way. And sometimes they give you the grace of letting you in, uh, even if even if you completely fuck it up. But uh, I had taken that second hit, and the portal opened up, and it was all these nasty things coming out. And I cried. I was crying hard for like maybe 15, 20 seconds. And I'm like, I can't do it. I can't do it. I'm, I cannot go through this hole right now. I'm so scared. But finally, I did it. I took the third hit. And then I was like in this emergency room in the year 3000. But I was a little baby. And I had like all the every orifice of my body had green coming out of it. And so the takeaway from that was, Hey, look, it was either a projection of I'm smoking too much weed and I need to stop. Or it was literally the universe saying, look, you are at an infant stage of growth here in terms of your spiritual uh, journey you've got going on. And you're really like choking this baby to death with all this marijuana you're using. Cause I was smoking it and eating it. And you know, it was just a big part of my life. And uh, so because of the last few experiences being just, and, and, and there, there was one experience where I wasn't smoking DMT, but a friend of mine was, and he, he freaked out so bad. He started like biting the couch and drooling on the couch and like humping the floor. It was like the weirdest thing I've ever seen. So um, I've been, the more you know about it, the more you experience DMT, I feel like the less you want to do it. But then there's these people like, like the guy I want to interview and he's done it over a thousand times. So I think there's a point where you can get comfortable with it. I'm just not there. So that in a nutshell has been my experience with DMT. It finds you when you're ready. It gives you what you need. It's scary as shit. It's also the most majestic, beautiful thing you can experience. It's beyond explanation. It's ineffable. And uh, it's a gift, man. It's crazy. I don't know. It will definitely find you when you're ready. And that is exactly how I, I found it. And that is exactly what I tell everybody who messages me. Like, from around the world and they always ask the same question they ask you how do i get dmt how do i find dmt and i always say to them put out the intention to the universe and tell the universe that you're ready and it will come to you i also tell them to watch as much terence mckenna as you can to prepare yourself for what to expect at least and how to actually um, go through a session you know how to how to sit how to hold the pipe how to inhale and all of these things are very uh, particular to breaking through. And breaking through is only available to those who are spiritually ready. It's all about your past lives, your higher self, your state of mind. Everything has to be perfect for that moment when you inhale as hard as you can, two, maybe three times. For me, it was only once. Um, so study and, and really, really take it as serious as you have ever taken anything serious in your life, because this is the most important thing that you will ever have a chance to see in your life. And if you are lucky enough to break through, then 
the moment of your temporary enlightenment is going to be the crowning achievement of your life, regardless of anything else you've ever achieved in your life. This will be the most important thing that you see and the most important thing that you ever may see again as a human with a human body. Because in other lives, you may be a higher dimensional being. You may not even have this opportunity to experience DMT from a human body, which probably one of the most greatest secrets in the universe. I will tell you this because once you see DMT, you will know the greatest secret in the universe. And you'll know that to be a human is the only way to see it. So couldn't uh, agree more with that. Yeah. I mean, you've got to do what you can legally. Let it find you, obviously. You know, put that intention out there. Totally, I agree. Just put that intention out there. The problem is with the law of attraction is most people, they've got that big boomerang of intention and what they want, but they never throw it out to the universe. That's the key of law of attraction is you cannot sit there and hold on to it. Oh, I want it, 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 because that is creating that uh, indefinite space of I want, which is you don't have. Whereas if you just, okay, I want some DMT. I think this will help me. God, show me the truth. Universe, higher self, me. Please show me the truth. And then you have to let it go. Okay, I'm excited about DMT. That's the real trick. The minute you forget about it, let it go, and are ready for it, it appears. Magically, a friend will have it. You'll be at a show. Uh, somebody will just pop, out, pop into your life you've never met before. Uh, but the, the DMT, uh, we live in an infinite universe of infinite parallel realities where you're swimming in a bucking ocean of DMT, all right? You're just not in that reality. And all you have to do is align yourself with that intention, that boomerang of intentionality, but you've got to throw it out, forget about it, wait for the boomerang to collect all it needs in time and space for you to have the best possible experience with it. And uh, I think that's how it usually happens. Again, I'm also, the big takeaway is I don't know anything. I don't, I try not to think I know anything. That way the universe can continue to surprise me. A lot of times people think they know it all and then they get that shut off uh, world of, hey, you know everything. So, you know, stay blind to all these other things that, you know, you're not allowing yourself to see. You still there? Yeah, I was just thinking of like how to even end this conversation because we went so far well, into I, the realm I, of DMT. I know when you were explaining it to me. I was like in your DMT trip, and I had had I've had similar visions like you. But um, the most memorable one for me was when I was I had I had entered like the the highest pinnacle of of this holy realm of like pure white light and these very beautifully ornate designed Oriental temples with all of these sacred symbols of Buddhism. And then I had to come back to earth through this like earth canal. But it was like, uh, it was like the room from the matrix with all of those TV screens where the architect uh, lives. And then it was like a birth canal of all of these trillions of lives that I've seen. And I was like coming through to be reborn and I had to let go of everything to be reborn back into the world where I opened my eyes and I saw the room that I was in with my friend who was the sitter. And then from that moment, I was just like, okay, this is the rebirth. And now I surrender my entire life to 
the universe. Like I am no longer in control. I am going to just let everything happen. I'm not going to get in the way anymore. And it, that rebirth is something that other people may also encounter, but to the degree of how extreme it is or how it can actually affect your day-to-day -day life, that's totally up to, I guess it's up to your karma or as, as up to your higher self. I don't know, but for me, it was so healing and it changed my life. It helped me create the Great Awakening map. I mean, something like that, an artifact out of time that I got from the DMT experience that's now helping people awaken. It's just so, it's nothing that I could have ever imagined. So well, exactly. There's that's so the much, there's so much secrets in the DMT world that you will be able to bring back with you to help this world. So don't ever take it for granted that you're going to do DMT and nothing's going to happen. Something is going to happen and it's not going to be anything you could ever have imagined with your tiny little ego. So go into the realm of the unknown, go into it bravely and know 100% sure that you'll be protected and safe at all times and never look back. Yeah, totally. And I think that's a great segue to the realm I'm about to go back into. I've only tiptoed around in it a little bit because I've been too pussy. But uh, the DMT realm and the, the masters of the DMT realms are I'm going to be speaking to very shortly. Like I said, I, I have all the ability to smoke DMT if I wanted to. I'm absolutely terrified. So I'm trying to get back into that space of excitement and joy for it. So stay tuned to this podcast because we will be talking to DMT researcher, if not next, very, very soon because the time has just come. And I, again, you, I, it's brought us together. DMT has brought us together. And the guy, I'll tell you this, the guy that brought me your poster, he was smoking DMT at the time and he would come here and he had his own pen. He would, and I don't recommend this, but he would go in the float room, he would take the, the hits and then he would lay in the tanks. He would fall back. That's really the, the concern is you're going to fall back and, you know, maybe splash or you drop your, you know, device or pen or pipe into the water but he had it figured out just right. I wasn't in the room with him, but so I know people have done DMT and floated. The big problem with doing DMT and floating is, you know, it's just, it's not a long trip. It, it can be messy. Obviously you're not going to be able to smoke a pipe. So the only way to do it in a float center would to be covertly with your pen. Even then I know what it smells like. Not everybody does. It smells like burning rubber or a Payless shoe store, but you know, I'm so glad you brought that up as the last question. Like the universe really is perfect. And as I make this podcast and go on this journey with you and other people, like the universe is telling a story through me. It's its own little narrative. I want to say things sometimes, but you know, the news changes or a, a guest can or cannot come on the show. And I have to change where my ego would like to go. I didn't know when I started out that we would do what we've been doing, which is going back and forth with these episodes. But initially I just wanted to only interview people who had floated and had known about floating and were interested in what I was interested in. But a lot of the people that I wanted to talk to, which were relevant to what we're going through now, either hadn't floated or, or they didn't want to talk to me or something. And so I had to let go of what I wanted to do to get to what we've got going on now, which is, okay, I found a rhythm. I talk a little bit. I make my own private episode where I have my thoughts to say, and then I have a guest. I try to go back and forth with that. And you've become part of this now as almost like a co-host of this show. Um, and so I really appreciate that your insight, you're very balanced, your spirituality, your place in the world, very balanced there. Um, great voice. 
I've been listening to your podcast too, by the way, we'll have to talk about that another day. Are you going to start doing guests on your podcast? One day I will, but I'm going to do episode four coming very soon. Maybe, maybe after the election, we'll see. But um, I wanted you to ask the, the DMT guest, can you ask him like, I want to know if he has seen like the Egyptian realm or like Chinese temple realm, realms of like Buddhist uh, iconography, Buddhist deities. I want to know if he's seen that because a lot of the, um, a lot of the DMT and LSD psychedelic explorers from the sixties and seventies, they were led to Buddhism through that route because they saw these images in the hyperspace. So I want to know somebody who has done DMT a thousand times, like whatever you said, I want to know if he has also encountered these realms that do exist, the Alex Gray realms, um, because a lot of Alex Gray's paintings are of Vajrayana deities um, that I've encountered and that I practice and study with now with my Dzogchen training, with my, uh, with my Dzogchen practice. So please ask him if he has seen Buddhist imagery and is if he understands why the psychedelic 60s movement was the spark of Buddhism in America. I want to know. Um, that's my main question. I'm, I have a really deep, deep interest and curiosity and obsession with finding others who have seen Buddhist uh, imagery, visions in their psychedelic states. So Alex Gray, double thumbs up because he is definitely one of those people and he still paints and talks about it. But I just want to hear it from other people because it was my deciding factor in my life that changed everything for me in my entire spiritual awakening and including the Great Awakening map. So that's the only thing I want you to ask if you can. Of and, course, uh, yeah. yeah. Looking so forward to listening to that podcast with him. Well, thank you. I guess we're getting close to three hours, which may be one of the longest ones I've done here. So... Uh, I know you're off Patreon now. Now, can we still buy stuff off your store? Can I still get a poster? Can I still get a shirt? Everything is is working. The Patreon was only like 1% of my income. So don't worry about that. It's much easier to just donate through PayPal or Venmo anyways. Or honestly, I, I tell people don't donate to me. Just buy something from my shop. That way you get something and you can either wear it, put it up on your wall, or just throw it out in the street to somebody. Just... Don't worry about me. I, I'm more concerned about you and Jordan Sather and uh, cue the wake up and my other good friends who have had multiple accounts taken down. And I know that they rely almost entirely on their Patreon accounts. So please support all the Patriots, the Anons, the Lightworkers. Um, if you really want to support me, be my guest and visit my shop. But please uh, help all the other ones who are much more in financial need than I am right now. I just wanted to let everybody know that um, my my accounts do get censored. I just don't tell everybody my secret accounts because obviously uh, it's called camouflage. So yeah, thank you for supporting me. If anybody wants to visit my website, it's greatawakeningmap.co and that's where they'll find the Great Awakening Map posters and everything else that we've talked about in this podcast and the past three podcasts are information that has been taken from my my poster and from the memes that uh, that you've done. So. Unbelievable, unbelievable journey. Uh, shout out to Pat, the guy that I was talking about that's been a big fan of yours for a long time. So he brought us together. 
So he'll, I'm sure he'll enjoy that shout out there. Uh, yeah, it's like crazy. Yeah, I thanks, Pat. Like he talked to me on Instagram way before I met you. So thank you. Yeah, him. Okay, I remember so, him. Yeah. yeah, definitely. So it must be trippy for him. I'm thinking about okay, yeah, it's trippy to like okay, you get to a point where you're kind of like not famous, but people know you, and it's a it's a, it's just, it's its own weird thing, having people come in here and know me, and like I said, having stalkers and stuff. Ugh. But I guess it's I'm I'm more interested in maybe his like oh wow he gets to like be friends with these meme accounts that he's likes like and then he gets to bring them together like what a trip like what a trip for him that uh, he and he gets to come here and float because before he didn't know I lived here in Florida and he didn't know I was like this close to him so it's like wow like imagine like you follow somebody online and you you really think they're cool and you're into their stuff but then you can like come hang out with them every day and then you introduce that person to other people which affects their content so I try to you know like think about everybody's perspective because it's not it's weird being in this position of you want to tell the truth you want to look a certain way you want girls to think you're not crazy um you want reality to to you know you know what i mean like there's there's the world of 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 reality and um you know nine to five jobs and mainstream media news and a lot of people like 80 to 90 percent of the population are asleep to that and you're trying to you know also participate in the world but also you know you have these great spiritual truths you want to you know try to express and bring people into that space but then i think ultimately luckily for both of us you realize that you don't really have to do anything and the universe is going to take care of itself all we need to do is like take care of our own situation and then from our point of bliss that just kind of attracts and spreads out to all these other people who find it on their own and then eventually you know the world wakes up so I'm so thankful to have this walk through the great awakening with you. It's always a pleasure. And I'm sure there was lots of entertaining and informative things uh, people got from this today, which is the most important thing for me. And uh, we went three hours almost nonstop. I really have to pee now. How are you doing? <laughs> you, you, are you done? I, I, I'm, I have one more comment to make. Sure. So if, uh, if anybody direct messages me, they DM me on Instagram. Um, you know, like when, when I open mes- messages, it's like, it's like magical. Every morning I open my DMs and I'm, I'm flipping through hundreds of people who message me. And I know that each single one has the potential of changing your life. Like clicking on one person and talking to them can change your entire life. So think about Instagram in this way. And Lightworkers always message me and they always say, what should I do with my life? I don't know what to do. I, I'm lonely. I don't know how to meet other people like me. And I always tell them to make an account and find spiritual people as yourself. And when you message them, you're going to encounter magic. That's what I tell them. Absolutely. So that's my suggestion that's been the to challenge. Yeah, followers and lightworkers and starseeds. Just go out there and meet people and you are going to have money coming to you every day and you're going to have the best job you've ever imagined and you're going to be helping people from around the world because you are putting yourself in the hands of your higher self. So Absolutely. That, that's true. And, and yes, be yourself. You want the reflection of truth and honesty. And if you're being yourself, people will resonate with that and you'll attract the right kind of people. If you're resonating a half truth or a lie, you're putting that out there. It's just a confusing mirror of people who are also lying to themselves or they're confused. So my final parting words is the only reason I'm here doing this, the only reason you're even interested in this is because I'm telling you my truth, uh, the best I know how, not judging myself, 
coming from a space of loving oneness. Now, I people, same thing. What, what can I do to take it to the next level? Be yourself. And yes, if it takes an anonymous account to come out of your shell, to come out of the closet, uh, then do that. Because I kind of did in the beginning with this Float Universe account. But ultimately, it's about becoming the meme, being honest, sacrificing my ego, myself, this human condition for a higher reality of memes and light and God's truth. And um, like I said, sacrificing myself to know more, you know, so not everybody needs to go do that right now. But yes, please tell your truth and find the others. Right. And then band together like we're doing here. Because I do. I, I, I'm not going to keep going here, but I do feel like we created a little team of people. I, in my own mind, I have a team of people that I think are light workers and meme makers that I've aligned with, whether they even know it or not, um, that are on my team. And I want to see those people on my team go far and influence other people with God's truth. So the great awakening is happening. Thank you for playing your part in it. Um, anything else? One last final, final word. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me on your podcast for the third time. And I just wish infinite blessings and peace to all beings. Likewise, nothing but love for everyone listening. Find your truth, express your truth. We're going to go now. I'm sure we'll be back with the fourth one at some point after the election. But hey, you know, I'm not going to tell you how to vote. You know, I think where we both stand here, we don't need to say it, but make sure you go out there. It is the most important election in history of the Western world, and you need to be a part of it. So God bless you guys. Love you. We're going to sign off now. I'm where we signing. go one, we go all. There you go. Where we go one, we go all. We can still say it here without being banned. So I'm stopping.